Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, dear listener, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger, and joining us today is a very close friend of ours, the co-host of the Eye of the Duck podcast, and just a generally great guy, great filmmaker, just a great soul, Adam Volerich. Adam, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That's quite the introduction. I'm so. I mean, I, I just I didn't know you thought so highly of my soul, and uh, <laughs> it, so that you. did come off kind of threatening, which I think will play into the game we're talking about. But um, Adam, I'm glad you're finally joining us because uh, Dom has just sort of shown up a few times on the show. I don't even remember inviting him. You didn't actually. I brought him on the show without yeah. telling you. We, I opened Skype and Dom was was putting over the camera, but I could see a little bit of his evil smile. He was showing me Wii Sports Resort and smiling as if like I had no control over what was happening next. Which, which was, was true. true. Yeah. He's just like, I've been summoned and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> so just to complete the curse, I think we should have you on as well. But no, we're, we're happy, happy to have Happy you to here. complete the curse. <laughs> You texted me maybe like, I want to say like a third jokingly being like, Steven, when can I come on into the Aether and talk about the greatest game ever made, Fable, The Lost Chapters? <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a joke, but also I do love this game and I am very excited to be talking about yeah. it. And I think we've been wanting to have you on for a while. At least I have been. And uh, I just think I, I screenshotted that text and sent it to Brendan and we were like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, nothing makes me happier than when somebody reaches out and is like, I, I need to talk about this game in particular. That's like, that's like catnip yeah. for me. I'm all about it. I, I, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I love to just like dive into the recesses of like people's formative game experiences. Uh, and, and Fable is like, Fable's also one for me. And it's a game that I had like almost completely like erased from my head. Like I just had no real memory of experiencing it. But it's funny because I, I, I logged on to uh, Xbox Live and like looked at my like achievement history and stuff. And I sure did play through all of Fable 1, all of Fable 2 and all of Fable 3 at some point in my life and just remembered none of it. Like that whole experience has been wow. erased. So uh, when you That's reach out. That's kind of ideal though, because then you get to not just relive it, but like you get to just live it for the first time again. Yeah, it's kind of the dream. I feel like it's the kind of thing that people constantly talk about is like, oh yeah, th- this is like a game or a movie I would love to just like forget my experience of and come back to. I don't know if Fable was ever one of those for me, if I'm being totally <laughs> honest, but it's been fun. It's been a really interesting experience. So we we've had this on the books for like, I don't know, two months at this point which has given me Mm -hmm. a lot of time to replay uh, these games. And Adam, I think the experience for you has been interesting because you started on xCloud. You didn't have an Xbox when you were like, I want to do this again. And you just played on your phone with a backbone on xCloud? So, yeah, so I, my my console history as a person who plays video games, my first ever console was the original Xbox. So mm. I had that, and then I had an Xbox 360. I played the shit out of Fable and its sequels on both those systems. Uh, then my 360 died, and I just kind of stopped playing video games until a friend of mine needed headshots taken. And he was like, I just bought a gaming PC. I don't need my PlayStation 4 anymore. Can I trade you a PlayStation 4 for some new headshots? Whoa. Yeah. I said yes. I got the PS4, became a Sony guy completely. Um, just like gave up on my my Xbox account and all of it. And then, so I have a PS4. I at some point ended up on a PS4 Pro because the PS4 broke. 
Now I have a PS5. We started talking about this and I was like, I actually really want to play this again. I don't want to buy another console. And it seemed like the easiest way for me to play Fable again was to get a three month trial of Game Pass included with the purchase of a backbone for my iPhone. That's awesome. And so I started playing it on my phone, which was so incredibly strange because I'm used to it being this like console game. I also... I think, and I think we all kind of grew up in this era where like the handheld system was like becoming a more capable thing, like especially yeah. when like the PSP came out and like the DS came out. Even the the SP being like backlit was like a game changer because then, yeah. at least for me, it meant I could play video games in my room at night and nobody could, <laughs> could, could without that like steampunk magnifying glass. Yeah, without yeah. the worm light. Awful. Yeah. So my whole life, I've always wanted like a better like more impressive handheld experience, more similar to a console. Mm -hmm. And the Switch is like kind of that, but to me, it's like too heavy and bulky to really be what I want. And because the iPhone has always had such like an incredible display, anytime I play Switch handheld and then I get like a text message, I'm like really (laughs) upset that my text message looks a hundred times better than my video game. (laughs) So having the backbone... All of a sudden, I'm like, holy shit, this is what I've always wanted my entire life, like since childhood, is to be able to do exactly this. Yeah. So like lying back in my bed, playing Fable the Lost Chapters on my phone with like a full controller setup is just like the most blissful, amazing thing for about a week and a half. After the week and a half is up, I'm kind of, I've had like my fair share of like lag issues that have caused like certain things to just be like impossible to complete. For example, Mm. the like thing in the very early on in the game where you can get like a prize for like running around the Heroes Guild faster than like a certain... you know, other apprentice impossible to do on the backbone on X cloud because the streaming to the phone just like cannot keep up with that Mm -hmm. even with really, really good Wi-Fi. So that was happening a lot. And I mean, actually not so much that the game was like unplayable by any means, but I was just craving the bigger experience. So then I like jerry-rigged a PS4 controller into my Mac and I have a eGPU for my Mac mini for video editing. So my computer is like weirdly well set up to play games, even though I never play games on it. Yeah. I started doing xCloud on my Mac and that was pretty close to flawless. I'll also say that as someone that hasn't like touched their Xbox account in God knows how long, the moment I signed up for Game Pass, it like reactivated my old account with all of my old cloud saves. So all of a sudden, like Great. all of my old heroes were available as well. Like all my old like accounts on this game. So mm-hmm. I wasn't just able to like play the game fresh. I was able to like jump into my old game sessions as well which was just so cool and weird to be able to do that again yeah and yeah i really liked playing it on the mac but after like another two weeks of that i was kind of like well this is nice but my nice big television over there is looking pretty like dead and empty and i kind of want to take this to the tv So instead of trying to like hook up my Mac to my television, I just thought, what if I went into more debt and I bought an Xbox Series (laughs) S? Amazing. So this has been quite the journey for me. Yeah. (laughs) Now, how do you like the Series S by comparison? I imagine it's like what you've been waiting for in terms of like the in terms of playing Fable the way you want to. Yeah. I mean, it's it's exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's perfect. It's flawless. And I got I got the S because I thought, you know, I already have a PS5 with the disk drive. And I was like, I don't need to have both 
of these with the disc yeah. drive and like if i'm getting game pass which i have now because i wanted to play these games then like that's like that's the benefit for me like i, I like the idea that with with game pass on this system any of like the xbox exclusives i want to play i'll be able to play them mm-hmm. and any of the playstation exclusives i want to play i'll be able to play those too and i don't know it's just cool it's it's fun to be able to have access yeah. to uh, to all of it. Uh, weirdly enough, the Series S, now that I've had it now for almost a year, I feel like it's become my retro system. It's like kind of this collection of like, okay, if I want to play, like yeah. we've talked a lot about how Microsoft is like maybe the only major video game company that who is like prioritizing game preservation at all, given that we're talking about Fable, the Lost Chapters, you know, like, yeah, and right. even going back to you saying about like the onboarding process of reactivating your account, like it's really great to have all that old stuff just available right away it's so cool. whereas yeah. like with other you know with nintendo and with sony it, sony's getting a little better now like you know going into the ps4 the ps5 was relatively seamless like mm-hmm. it was weird from like a ui perspective but like it worked like i <laughs> i got all my old games but i think that there's something really powerful about like retaining what you had even if it's in a digital format which i think is like yeah. very important but yeah, I, I, I also enjoy, I, I have the same line of thinking, which is why I got the S. Also, truly, if I had the PS5 and the Series X, I don't know if I would have any room in my apartment for anything else. So, <laughs> yeah, these are some big consoles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm really glad you're enjoying it. But it is, it is really interesting, too, to think about like what games benefit from being handheld. You know, I think there's a inherent novelty to being able to play any game on your phone. But then you kind of quickly yeah. learn like, OK, like Metroid Fusion, Taylor made for the Game Boy Advance uh, I feel like you see it a lot on Switch where it's like every now and then there's a game that like you need to play handheld like Into the Breach mm-hmm. um, and then every now and then it's like this is only going to be docked for me you know and then yeah. like it's why I, I find specifically like as far as the Switch goes I am playing docked like 95% of the time and every once in a while there's a game that's like whispering to me sweetly like try this in handheld <laughs> see how it feels like I've been playing Splunky yeah. 2 like exclusively handheld for the past two weeks mm-hmm. and it like I I will not play that game docked at this point. It just feels so good on yeah. the Switch. Wow. And I feel exactly the same way as you, Adam, about the Switch. Like, I think it's too big. I think it's bulky. I don't really like holding on to it for long periods of time unless I'm playing Spelunky 2. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of games in particular. Um, that said, though, I like so get where you're coming from with the backbone and the iPhone like that thing when it works well, when it's not laggy or whatever via X cloud, like that feels like what the switch is supposed to feel like to me like that when, yes. I, when I'm holding it, I'm just 100%. like, oh, yeah, this, this is like the premium game handheld console experience that I'm always looking for. And it's wild to go back and forth specifically. Like if I don't know if you've tried this, but going back and forth between xCloud and the console, like the save file that you have on your console uploads mm-hmm. to the cloud and you can just like pick it up and play it wherever you want. It's like I've been playing Psychonauts 2, which yeah. I just finished this morning. Uh, and I've played like maybe three quarters of that game on my Xbox and another quarter of it on my phone, like in bed using xCloud and the fact that I can just pick up that save whenever I want and it like has like essentially quick resume and just lets me play that game uh, and and put it down and like knowing without even needing to think about it that my save file is going to like show up on my Xbox when I go sit down and play it in front of the couch again. That's like magical. That's like a magical experience that I like I didn't even know that that was going to be like a tentpole feature of the Xbox for me when I bought it. I was just like, well, if, if Microsoft ever releases something that I'm even remotely interested in, at least I'll have a thing to play on not realizing that there's like this magical <laughs> like multi-screen cloud gaming experience that i can uh that i that i can have in kind of like any setting i want 
which is just like, it's incredible. It's an incredible thing. I love it. It is. Magical is like definitely the word for it. It just feels like this shouldn't be possible. It feels like, um, it feels like we're breaking some kind of rule. And yet this is like a feature. (laughs) Like this is just like how it functions. Yeah. It also feels like no one else knows about it in terms of like the competitors of Microsoft. You know, I feel like there's not even an attempt to mirror it or Game Pass. I, I imagine Game Pass will eventually catch on on Sony's end. Like I imagine I think it's inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. There will inevitably they'll either like reshape PS now to be like it or they'll unceremoniously dissolve PS now and then do something new. Mm hmm. It might take a while because, again, like the the routine interviews with like the heads of Sony are very much like, yeah, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing because it's working, you know, which yeah. uh, David Bowie once said is the death of creativity. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I, I do kind of like that, though. I, li- <laughs> Sorry I like that they're doing you. completely different things, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think we've often talked about like, without trying to sound like a Microsoft, like fanboy or anything, like I feel like the direction that they're going in, I think is just way more consumer friendly. If it was a widespread thing, I think you can open up debates and conversations about like ownership. And, you know, I don't think we want to live in a world where like everything is a subscription model. Like it's getting to the point I'm like winking at getting Paramount plus and I'm like scared at that decision. Cause I'm like, how many of these (laughs) things do I need? Yeah. And then it becomes this like weird, like, uh, I don't know, there's like a lack of it. Just It just it just becomes like it almost defeats the purpose once there are too many services. And you also don't want yeah. one service being like, yeah, you get 10 things I hate about you for a week. Like, I don't want to live in that world. <laughs> you know? um, I can't wait to play 10 things I hate about you on my backbone. Yeah, yeah. honestly, I wouldn't <laughs> mind like uh I wouldn't mind the ability to like, I'm sure this might exist somehow, but like, you know, like on Amazon Prime where you can like rent a movie for three bucks and have it for like a month. Like, I feel like that would be great for games where it's like, okay, if you really want to like own this forever, Mm -hmm. you can spend the money. I guess it's kind of what Game Pass is currently where like I have this sort of idea like, okay, I'll check it out. Like it's a no brainer if it's just there. And if I really like it or if I want to support the team that made it, I'll I'll buy the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, but yeah, I, I think I think you're right that like the fact that you could play a a Xbox exclusive IP on your iPhone, I think says everything you need to know about it's, like yeah, you know they're it's they're ridiculous. like just ease with how you play the games. They don't care if it's even on the Xbox. It's more of like, this is just like our collection of stuff. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Which which rules? Like, yeah, I played Psychonauts one on my Mac in a Google Chrome browser <laughs> via xCloud. Yeah. Using my Nintendo Switch Pro Controller, which was like the wildest shit possible. But like Microsoft's happy because I'm like engaging with their service. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's that's like when when I was playing Fable, it was the exact same process, except it was a DualShock 4. And I was like, this shouldn't be possible. Like, how are we getting away with this? You know? Yeah. Um, Especially when you when you think back to like the 90s, where it was such like brand loyalty and brand warfare. Now Mm -hmm. Microsoft is just like, we don't give a shit. As long as you pay us our monthly fee, you can play whatever you want, however you want to play it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the irony there is like, Microsoft was like really in last place for a long time, right? Like the Xbox has always kind of mm-hmm. been like, you know, trying to punch up, I think, uh, above its weight class. I think that, you know, the 360 was a great generation for Xbox. But generally speaking, oh, like yeah. mm-hmm. the original Xbox, the Xbox One, and even now, I mean, they're they're kind of lagging behind. Um, so a lot of this is just like born of them, like desperately wanting a customer base that they they like couldn't find for yeah. a long time so i think it's at this point True. it's just like oh yeah 
we're very cool with you experiencing our stuff anywhere because uh, before that, nobody was experiencing our stuff on anything. <laughs> uh, but like the we- the weird irony here is like, okay, cool. So I can, you know, engage with all of uh, the Xbox backlog. And like, that's really wonderful that they're, you know, so committed to game preservation. Again, you know, it's born of like, like weird capitalistic, like we just want you to pay right. us a monthly fee. But I think I think the strange thing is like Xbox has never been known for their IP. Like that's that's always been a thing they've been like fighting against, right? right? Like they had Halo and Master Chief and Gears of War and like really like desperately wanted a mascot or something, you know? But when you yeah. look back at the libraries of Sony and Nintendo, like if either of them had a service like Game Pass, if they took the same exact mentality and approach to their business model, they would be like dominant in a way that is terrifying. If Sony at any moment was like, you can play anything from the PlayStation 1 up through now on any device with any controller and pay us like a small monthly fee to access all of that, that would be the most like destructive thing in the game landscape because why would you do anything (laughs) else? Right. Same with Nintendo. Nintendo will never do that because they're like, do you want prehistoric man again? (laughs) Uh, um, Jelly boy. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. um, Oh, man. Xcloud is great when it works. Um, I I get why you have now uh, decided to get an actual console. But but I I do think Xcloud is like it's getting closer to the thing that you tried doing. And that's the thing I've been like alluding to for like almost, I don't know, I guess every year of us doing this podcast is like eventually Microsoft will move to a no console future where like you could just do this stuff wherever. And it's not mm-hmm. quite there yet. Like you need to, yeah. if you want to play that kind of stuff on xCloud, you need to pick very specific games that don't require like Psychonauts was very hard to beat via xCloud because that game's all about platforming. And that's that's not what that service mm-hmm. is made for at the moment. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Even with a like very good graphics card and like hardlined Ethernet, which like c- connected to very good Internet for the purpose of being needing to upload and download hundreds of gigabytes of 4K video all the time. Like even with those things, a Xbox 360 game, I was still having issues with, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And so, I mean, granted, like the whole thing's a miracle and mo- <laughs> I would say 80% of the time I wasn't having issues, right. but that 20% was enough to make me go, eh, I could, I could, I could, uh, I could take on more debt right now. <laughs> I, I have two questions. Was Fable 1 on the 360 or the original Xbox? Both. So Fable was on the original Xbox and then Fable The Lost Chapters was also on the original Xbox and then Fable Anniversary was an HD remaster of lost chapter gotcha. which is on xbox 360 because it was right it was 2005 so it was like a year before the 360 came out it was kind of like a last of us scenario where they like it was like the swan song yeah of just one like squeezing as much power as you possibly could out of that thing right before you move <laughs> on to the next yeah yeah my other question i think kind of transitioning if if we're cool to move on to yeah, talking yeah. more about fable i love this to sort of revisit like each of our we touched on this a little bit but let's talk about like what our history with the franchise is and then talk about how revisiting uh, the first game has been and i know you two have also played a little bit of the sequels um i'll go first it's really short i have i have by far the least history with fable um i played two actually fable 2 was my first 360 game wow as fate would have it and i remember i think fable 2 came out in like 2007 
which I think is actually important to remember, like when these came out, because I, I, I keep thinking about like, what was the RPG landscape like when these games came out? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, Fab- Fable 1, I think in many ways we'll discuss was definitely, uh, look, I'll, I'll, I'll set it up. I've got a lot of thoughts about Fable 1. <laughs> As a rule on this show, we only bring a game to the table if we enjoy the game or if we think that it will make for an interesting and constructive conversation. Fable 1 is like right in the middle for me where it's like I like it enough, but I have a lot of interesting conversation points to bring up about it. Um, but anyway, uh, Fable 2, I remember playing 2007. So that was like post-Oblivion. I think Fallout 3 had just come out and I had already, you know, I played Fable 2 before, but I got Fallout 3 like right after. So there were a lot of like very ambitious, very big Western RPGs coming out. And I remember playing Fable 2. Also at this time, I had played like almost every Final Fantasy that existed. So I was like very snobby and intense at like Mm -hmm. 17 or whatever this is going on. I remember really enjoying it. I remember really liking the vibe of the world. Weirdly, the sense of humor with like the writing, like not the dialogue, but the actual like in-game writing, which I think also stands out in the first game. And I remember having really brilliant moments, but overall thinking like, this is a really solid gateway into the genre, which I don't think is, it sounds like an underhanded compliment, but I do think that's a good thing. I think there's also a place for that. I don't know if Fable 2 is still that, but I think in 2007, it very much was like, if you're curious, like what like an action RPG looks and feels like, this is a really great place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, so I played all of Fable 2 uh, and and enjoyed it. Uh, and I didn't really uh, have a strong enough interest to play one or three until now with your beautiful, maybe cursed text. Uh, and they're all on Game Pass, which again is a wonderful thing. So I've downloaded one and two. I haven't gone back to two, but I played, I want to say, the first like three or four hours of one. And I know that this game really does take its time with setting it up, which we'll get into once we talk about it. But uh, that's basically it. I'll, I'll save my thoughts when we talk about the game. But uh, I played a lot of Fable 2, all of Fable 2, and liked it. And now visiting one, and uh, I'll leave the floor to you too. Yeah, I'll I'll go next because I... Adam, it sounds like you have like a much more like formative experience with it. But I I, <laughs> I played uh, Fable 1 primarily at a friend's house uh, when it came out because I didn't have an Xbox. Uh, and remember just like sitting down in my friend's basement for like hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and just like experiencing that game and liking it a lot. Uh, I wasn't playing a lot of RPGs at the time. So that was like a really kind of new experience for me, as you were alluding to, Stephen. It kind of was a gateway RPG for me and kind of got me interested in that genre as a whole. And then uh, Fable two dropped on the 360 uh and i picked that up like day of release and played through the whole thing and uh it's really wonderful we'll talk about why later uh and then i was in college very briefly and was rooming with a game design major who was also a huge fable fan a big fan of fable one specifically and uh, fable three came out and we went to the midnight release of fable three we were the only people there uh as we picked that (laughs) game up and uh, I love that. brought it home and played it and played through the whole thing. So don't get me wrong. Like I played through all of Fable 3 when it came out. Uh, but just remember being like, there's something about this game that feels wrong. <laughs> like there's something about this game mm-hmm. that doesn't feel like it. Like it just kind of it, it's like scotch. It's not even duct tape. It's scotch tape together. There's there's an interesting vibe yeah. of Fable 3, which we'll get into. But that said, like I still consider myself a fan of this series. I, I know there's like. 
I know there's a, a huge discussion between people who like really love Fable 1 and people who really love Fable 2. Most people don't love Fable 3. So the discussion is really just kind of like focused on those first two. And there's a vibe in that first one that doesn't carry over into two, I think, that people really yeah. gravitated towards. There's like a whole contingent of people that are like, one was it for me, two kind of ruined it in some ways, uh, which we can dive into more. And in preparing for this episode, my whole thing was like, I remember not really being part of that camp. I remember being part of the Fable 2 camp like that was really the game for me you know partially because it was my own Xbox and like finally I could just like experience it on my own time without needing to go uh, sit in my friend's strange moist basement um, <laughs> but I, I had a great time with that game and kind of thought in preparation for this like okay I'll go and give Fable 1 a shot and see if like you know playing it on my own time I kind of grow to understand and maybe even love the thing that most people were talking about and started playing it and was like the first couple hours, not so great. And then a little bit later in, I was like, oh, wait, this is starting to click with me. I'm starting to understand why people like this a lot. And then I ran into a bug that is like a game breaking, like you can't progress further in the game bug without <gasps> starting the game over. And I looked it up to see like, OK, is there a way around this? Have people figured out like a way to fix this or whatever? The answer is no. And this bug has existed since the first Xbox release of the game. And it stuck around through the lost chapters and then stuck around through the HD remaster for the 360. It's so like it's the Whoa. same game breaking bug that happens like seven or eight <laughs> hours into the game that you just can't progress past and they decided to never fix that like I ran into. So when that happened, oh, I was like, man. I'm not going to keep going. Like I'm good here. Let me pick up Fable 2 and 3 and like see how I feel about it. So I actually played a bunch of Fable 2 and I would say the first like three-ish hours of Fable 3 to prep for this. And uh, that's been a wild experience and I can't wait to talk about it more. But that's kind of my, that's kind of my history. That's, that's what's going on. Adam, I'm so interested to hear why this game means so much to you. Well, first of all, my condolences on uh, your game-breaking bug that sucks so much and upsets me greatly to hear. Yeah, um, it happens. Man. Well, and another thing you brought up earlier was that um, there's like a certain vibe in Fable and Fable 2 and then there's something missing from Fable 3. I think that the first two games, and actually now that you've said this thing about the bug, I guess I'm wrong. Um, but I would have said that the first two <laughs> games are kind of like charmingly broken and mm. the third game is just broken. Yeah, um, yeah. And 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 that's that's kind of always been my experience with, with all three of them. But so as I said earlier, my first home console was an Xbox. Uh, it was actually my dad's Xbox that my grandparents bought him for his birthday one year, I which I just think is goofy as hell. Um, I had always been a handheld guy because uh, I just wasn't allowed to have a home console. And so mm. we had the Xbox and I'd never been allowed to have a TV in my room. And then a whole bunch of things happened at once. My grandparents, for some reason, bought my dad an Xbox 360. So the Xbox was no longer needed in the same room because the 360 had backwards compatibility. And my mum's friend was throwing out a seven and a half inch screened CRT television. Oh, yeah. Uh, that she had <laughs> mounted, I think, in like her like laundry room or something like that. And so I inherited the TV and I essentially stole the Xbox from the living room. And uh, the only game that no one else in the house wanted to play was Fable. And so... That's uh, <laughs> great. So I basically locked myself up in the bedroom and sat on the floor six inches away from the seven and a half inch television. Can I just and say I, real quick, this is how Fable should have begun. Like you getting it. Like this is like a, a, a coming of age hero's journey. Like perfect. Yeah. No, perfect. Yeah. Like, yeah. like a princess bride setup, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> 
What's so, this game that no one wants? I guess it's just a game. And then you know, go into the TV. Yeah, you get sucked into the seven inch CRT. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that is what it felt like for me because I yeah. feel like I, I, I took it upstairs. I got into my bedroom and I feel like I didn't leave the room for like two weeks. You know, yeah, I just right. sat in there all day playing it. And so, you know, I never got to play a Zelda game except at my friend's houses. I'd never played like a Final Fantasy game except for like, you know, a few minutes here and there at my friend's houses. Mm. I'd played like Golden Sun on on my Game Boy mm. Advance, but like I had no real, uh, you know, RPG experience at that point. So this game was like huge gateway in that regard. But it's also kind of like what if Monty Python and the Holy Grail was a video game in terms of like the tone and like the overall writing of it. So to suddenly be playing like a really fucking dorky, like Dungeons and Dragons inspired like RPG, but with that sense of humor, yeah. it was just like everything that I had ever wanted all at once. And I played through the game. I beat it. I played it again. I beat it. I played it. Like I just kept replaying it because it was just checking all of these boxes for me. And then it became like this staple for me where it was just complete com comfort food. So mm. every like six months or so, I'd be like, you know what I would like to do this weekend is I would just like to play that game from start to finish again. Wow. And so it, it got to the point where I just knew the game so well and discovered all of these like game, you know, broken kind of bugs within the game that you could exploit to no end to the point that I was I was getting to a level where I was just becoming essentially God in this game <laughs> and became just just like it was absurd. And uh, without going too deep, because I, I know we'll we'll sort of do that in a minute like that game is just so incredibly broken and it is incredibly fun to mess with how broken it is fable 2 when that came out didn't love it as much as as fable 1 mm. um oh and actually sorry i'll just say that uh in high school uh i had one other friend that really loved fable um shout out muhan i know you're not listening but shout out to you anyway um and we <laughs> had an acoustic duo together where we both played acoustic <gasps> guitar and played shitty music and we yeah. named our, our group your health is low uh, after the uh, <laughs> guildmasters oh like my god uh, incessant like bothering phrase <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! So that's that's how that's how deep I am. Uh, I'm in on Fable. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's so good. Oh my god, I love. That. Yeah. What 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 was it about Fable Two that like didn't click as much? I mean, I really really liked it. Uh, I think it just like it isn't quite as charming to me as mm. the first one, and it kind of like. I think because it is so expansive, it feels like it's impossible to like 100% it, and when a game becomes like too open for me i kind of get a little bit turned off like mm. i i like to be able to to look at all of it and go there are exactly 100 things for me to do and i'm going to do all 100 of them mm. when it gets a little bit too infinite and i know fable 2 by comparison to things that come out now is like not open at all it but it's like just open enough where i'm just like i i can get a little lost and a little bit bored of this yeah. you know like yeah. And I also feel like even though the story mode in Fable 1 isn't particularly massive, it felt like Fable 2, despite being a larger game, somehow also feels smaller in some ways. Mm. And also the, uh, the guns completely break the game. Um, as, <laughs> as fun as it is to get really good with the gun really quickly and just yeah. mow down everyone in your path, that is very fun for me. It is just like as broken as Fable can be the first one can be and as and as op as you can become in that game fable 2 i feel like takes it to a new level just right off the bat because you can just click one button and kill anyone yeah it's yeah. also if i remember correctly there's 
basically no consequence to dying in Fable 2, which is like one of my major yes, gripes. No consequences like, at all. Yeah. Not not that like I need to be uh knowing my taste in games, I do think there's part of me that is a glutton for punishment. But I do think mm-hmm. that like there is something lost even narratively. Like I think a standout sequence for me in Fable 2, uh I guess light spoiler, but you know, I won't I won't go into why, but there's essentially a long sequence where you're in prison and yeah. uh you're meeting the hero of will. There's like a hero of strength will and and skill i think and he's played by shepherd from uh, firefly oh amazing but anyway you're in this prison and you know a staple with all the fable games is like this moral system of being good or evil which we'll talk about more in a bit i got some thoughts on it uh <laughs> but fable 2 th- this moment felt uncharacteristically like brilliant for the tone of the rest of the game because you're in this prison everything you've had has been kind of taken away from you you're there for a long time i think like years go by like you yes. it's like a yeah almost like years. a count of monte cristo like origin story and you're punished for doing the good thing like you lose experience yes. uh i thought that was a really brilliant way to test your like your hold on whatever like because you know sometimes like okay i'm good i'm gonna be rewarded for being good Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be rewarded for being bad it's really just the flavor i want which is fine but i think in that moment it's like you really had to believe that being good was being good for the sake of it but you lose that because it doesn't matter how strong or weak you are because you can just walk through a room you know like it like you literally die and you get right back up and you have like a scar on you and that's like the only penalty um yeah and then later on in the game if you have the expansion pack you can buy potions to get rid of your scars so there's really no consequence right so that that kind of like diffused that otherwise really like kind of harrowing section but like you said this is like monty python rpg so that felt like weirdly out of place as well (laughs) given the rest of the game is like are you new to town are you good or evil you know um (laughs) so uh yeah i did love the morality stuff in fable one i I think yeah fable two doesn't quite get it right but in in fable one especially because if you're evil you can just become you just look like the fucking devil Um, (laughs) like (laughs) and and you know at a certain like like I think being evil in Fable One makes the game a lot easier in the short term, but in the long term makes it more difficult because everyone becomes afraid of you, and then you walk into any town, everyone runs from the sight of screens you, which bales, is very yeah. funny. Yeah, it's very funny, but then it makes it hard to like do stuff because then like the shops are all closed because the people are running away from the shops, you know? Yeah. Um. So like in 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 that way it gets it gets more difficult in the long term. But it but, is like uh, it's, it's yeah. like cartoonishly evil is the thing about Fable One. Yeah, and I, yeah. And I think that's kind of like the charm of Fable. If I was to if I was to drill down on like the difference between one and two and maybe why some people gravitated more towards one or the other is like one is just cartoonish at all times and like kind yes. of revels in that. And I I think it's important to again highlight like the years that these games came out so fable one dropped yeah. i think it was 2004 i believe and then fable two was like early or late 2008 somewhere in that vicinity and and fable two dropped at a time when like games were becoming like darker and brooding more right like as you as you yeah. said steven like fallout 3 came out around that time like what's the thing that everybody talks about with fallout 3 that everything's fucking green everything is like brown everything yes. is like almost like sepia or or just kind of like dark um you know it's the era of like 
Chris Nolan's The Dark Knight. It's the era of mm-hmm. uh, you know modern warfare becoming a, a game year after year after year after year. And and Fable Two like leaned into that, right? Like Fable Two, like yeah. look at one, just yeah, any definitely. screenshot between one and two, and two is like clearly darker, has higher contrast settings. Like even just visually, there's a huge delineation between the two. And I think that that's probably you know a lot of what people kind of gravitated towards or uh, away from um, in in those two games. So like. When you become evil in Fable 2, it's a little more manic and a little scarier. In Fable 1, yeah. it's like, yeah, you're you're the devil. You're the cartoon devil. You have glowing red <laughs> eyes and everybody runs and screams. And it's like hilarious. It's like funny. It's like a funny, good time. Yeah. It's yeah. bizarre. Bouncing off the tone, I actually, I agree that it's definitely cartoonish. But I, I have like a, a beat in the opening that I think I might want to push back on a little bit. And sure. I actually think this might be a good opportunity just to talk about the beginning. Because I feel like mm-hmm. there's, there's so much I need to kind of get out of my system. Um, yeah. yeah, please. Uh, so it. It, it begins. I, I think I've I've I could hear your laughter, Adam, like in the background as I encountered moments. And I, I could also not stop laughing because <laughs> the beginning is like your dad's like, go do some good errands and I'll give you a single gold coin for every yeah. good errand you do. The first good errand I did was tell a woman that her husband was cheating on her, which felt like kind of inappropriate for just a child's good deed of the day. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and I then mean, like the, the other option is you do it easy. Evil, you could conceal the affair and also get paid, which is like equally fucked up and weird. Right, right. Uh, and it is, you know, this game, it's introducing the mechanic. I actually think as a tutorial, it's not bad because it's introducing the mechanics of the game and also the moral systems. So like every good deed, like you said, could go sour. But the way it's executed is just so funny and like peak mm-hmm. 2004 figuring stuff out kind of vibe. Because like, yeah, there's one point where a guy's like, perfect, a child to do my job for me. Wash these barrels and run. <laughs> off uh and then this little boy is like i had this stuff in the barrels don't you want to break them and see what's inside and you've got to like listen to this kid ask you to break barrels for like five fucking minutes like to do the good thing you've just got to do nothing and like watch yeah. a bar go down as he's like come on don't you want to be evil like what is this kid uh, and it also adds to the comedy that every kid has like a fully grown man's face for some yes, reason. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you're just waiting and then they come back and he's like, you're good. Here's a coin. So you're doing all this stuff. You know, you fight a bully to get a teddy bear back. That's all fine. I also like my my thing I always say with RPGs is like, you know, you got to give it at least two hours for it to like begin because you're going to yeah. do chores for the first hour or so. Um, so, you know, it's like a little clunky, but I was like endeared to it. And then you buy your sister a gift for her birthday. And then bandits show up and brutally murder everyone. (laughs) I know. And you've got to walk through the town that's on fire that has like dead children's bodies. And like you're like crying over the corpse of your dead father. It feels like so wildly out of place in the way it's depicted. Because like the beginning, like you said, is Monty Python. You know, the good or evil is so cartoonish that you don't really feel good or bad about anything you're doing. It's just how you want the story to go. And then there's like a red wedding scene that happens, which is like (laughs) the inciting event of the game. This wizard named Maze is like, you look like a chosen one. Follow me. And you go to an academy, which then you, you know, you look like a chosen one. Yeah. So like. (laughs) 
it just felt like that moment could have been really brilliant. Like, I feel like if they went with, uh, like, I guess like a, like Ocarina of Time, like endearing you to this childhood setting and then having that taken away from you, I think mm-hmm. could have been like a gut punch, but it just comes off as like a cruel twist where like the only thing I really got to learn about this town is the couple that was cheating on each other. Like they were 90% of my experience. They're arguing. Mm-hmm. You can hear it as you're running throughout the town. So it's like, yeah, with these tots. And then like, then she gets killed. I'm like, I don't know what to feel. Cause this is yeah. so like, it, it, it feels like a misfire. And then the days of the Academy are a little better, you know? And I think like, it is surprising. And I think it is like, there's a brief moment where like you're introduced to the dormitory and I feel like yeah, this is where you stay now. And then like when left alone, the protagonist just starts crying, which I thought was actually like a very mm-hmm. like weirdly grounded and like sad moment that like, cause so much has just happened to this kid. Like the minute they're left alone, they just start crying. The, the Academy training worked a little bit better for me. I just wish that like, it's also, it's also very funny. I think the biggest laugh I got was that like, when you go to the Academy, you're still this kid, you know, like probably like nine or 10 and they give you a stick to do your training. And then it cuts to when you're like 18 and you still have a stick. Like the same stick. (laughs) You get a sword now. It's like, did you really think like that? had this stick for like 12 years um, I know I'm like being nitpicky but it's like there are these like pockets of brilliance that I think with like a different tone or a different like version of the scene could have really worked and I think that that mm-hmm. that inciting event is so brutal and like because you like the cutscene and the art that you see are like your mom on like a spear like it's really graphic <laughs> yeah uh and it, it 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 really sets a tone that the rest of the game does not follow up on because then the minute you graduate the academy which then maze is like whether you're good or evil you're a hero good luck out there like they're just totally cool if you decide to be the devil uh and then you go out and kill mosquitoes and people are like yay well done i'm <laughs> like that's hilarious and that's fun and goofy I just feel like that the moment where the town is like brutally massacred is so out of place with the rest of the game that I wonder if it should even be there the, that's like the, really what I keep hanging on to that that tone does come back later it does okay because yeah. it's worth noting like I'm still very early on so maybe this is a bit misguided but like this is how I felt playing it for the first time it it, it does feel like a wild tonal shift right up front because it is yeah. so goofy and then suddenly so dark but the darkness definitely comes back in big ways uh in mostly to do with like the main quest line yeah the main antagonist like really brings that brutality back into it yeah yeah it's uh i, th- I think the thing about that that opening steven that like is so <laughs> funny to me because I, I i do agree adam like it's definitely telegraphing so the, the main antagonist if you play the games jack of blades like great antagonist like like legitimately like good villain yeah i think um brings that brutality back but that's not for a while which i think like it'll just kind of linger with you that the game opened that way for a long time and just be like why why was this yeah. this intense and i think what's so funny is like the world building is actually interesting enough that maybe they didn't even really need anything that intense like i think it's fascinating mm-hmm. by itself that there's like a hero's guild that like takes kids in and trains them up and is like very okay with them being heroes or villains you know like i if you're good <laughs> or evil you can like still be a hero i think that's like really rich narrative thematic uh, terrain to try and traverse like that's a really cool idea that like doesn't really go as explored as I would like honestly like that's such a cool idea yeah. This like this group that trains people up and is like even if you're fucking horrifying 
that's probably good for us <laughs> because that'll give the best people among us in the guild, you know, something to fight against. You know, it's almost like trying to perpetuate itself and like trying to perpetuate the system of good and evil in the world where like maybe you shouldn't train people to be evil. Maybe that's a bad idea. And strangely enough, like starting the game with something that brutal almost does telegraph like something about your character, right? Like starting with something that horrifying almost puts a little bit too much of a narrative edge into a character that's supposed to be me that I'm supposed to be molding, you know, like, because then I have to start thinking about how would this person react to these situations based on the things they've seen before? Instead of just being like, you're just a kid at this, you know, heroes guild or whatever, just like making your own path and figuring out your own life. I do think, though, Stephen, if you play further in, you'll find that that opening, I'm really trying to not spoil it but like that that opening yeah. really actually does kind of sow the seeds for the rest of the game and really gotcha. really actually does pay off in a way that is like pretty strong but it's very it's very weird for your hero specifically to go through something that traumatic and then be like i'm gonna be the, also a horrible person like i'm also gonna be yeah. the yeah, devil i never thought of it that way before but you're right it, it inherently makes the the main character much less of a blank slate and yes. I think in, in in earlier playthroughs of this game, like sometimes I'd play it like fully good. Sometimes I'd play it fully evil. But m- recently, like when I when I played the game, both this time around and like, I guess the last time I played it must have been probably like 2013. Mm. I, I, I've, I feel like I only play it in uh, the good morality mode now, probably in part due to the fact that like I'm slight, I'm a little more emotionally mature than I was. And I'm now re- and like that opening is making me go, oh, this kid, he's, he would never do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, right. Like, like I think just like if you have any degree of emotional intelligence, it makes it a little more difficult to want to play the evil uh, storyline. I want to say too, I think that that opening, like, I- I'm I'm happy to hear that it does kind of warrant its existence. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think in the in the moment, it's surprising in a way that doesn't feel good. It just yes. feels like kind of cruel almost. Um, yeah. I kind of wish like, and again, not to rewrite the game, but I feel like it would have made a little bit more sense if like you do these errands as a kid, time jump to when he's like a teenager in the town. Maybe he's made a name for himself in one way or another. And then the town gets attacked. You know, it's like when you have a little bit more of an attachment to the place, maybe you even have this idea that like it is under your protection or influence in some way. And then that's taken from you leading Mm -hmm. to the academy days when you're like a teenager and not just like a toddler with like blood all over them on the street. (laughs) Yeah. Grabbed by maze. It's worth noting, too, that two and three also both start with like horrifying events. Like, that's true. Two opens with you and your sister. Two, I think, is more horrifying. Two is really fucked. Like, two is like you and your sibling, and and your sibling gets kicked out a window by the antagonist, uh, which like kicks off the series of events. Uh, Again, like, not really. Oh, yeah, yeah. Shot out a window. Yeah. You're a kid who gets shot. (laughs) Yeah. With a gun out a window. It's very Mass Effect 2. Yeah. It is very Mass Effect 2. Does not leave a lot to be interpreted in this game where you are supposed to be a blank slate, like forging your own path. Like it's pretty clear that that was a bad guy and you're going to be the good guy to fight the bad guy. Like that's kind of, you know, what the game is setting up. Yeah. And then in three, uh, you start as the brother, you're, you're the prince uh, and brother to the king who is played by Michael Fassbender and maybe Michael yeah. Fassbender's worst <laughs> ever performance in anything <laughs> I've ever seen or heard. Um, and he he is like... 
He's a despot. He's a horrifying dictator, nightmare yeah, king. He's just an evil tyrant. Yeah, he starts the game by wiping out uh, essentially like um, like a workers' rights protest because, you know, people are working in a factory. It's the industrial era. And nobody's getting paid for working in a factory. There's like kids in the factory and stuff. And he's like, the first thing that happens in that game is you're given a choice. Do you kill uh, the person who is going to be your spouse or do you kill all of the protesters and he makes you decide and you have to make that decision and that's the way the game starts and again it's like this is a horrifying choice I have to make that is very much going to make me not want to become as evil as this guy obviously and that's yeah, kind yeah, of like right. I think the main failing of all three games to me at least is I, I want this to be more of a blank slate. Like, that's kind of the thing that yeah. I was sold on. And I think, like, playing the evil route is, uh, is like, more a curiosity than it is canon based on the things that happen. Um, and I feel like there almost shouldn't yeah. be a canon in a way. Like, I, I, I almost want yeah. it to be more open-ended as a whole. I think I think that's the tricky thing about moral systems in general. And we talk about that a lot with Mass Effect, where like yeah. even that having kind of a more authored like Renegade or Paragon are not good or bad, but it's like, you know, uh ends justify the means versus like long term kind of uto- utopic thinking yeah. in some mm-hmm. way. I feel like when you're going for a blank slate, like I think Fallout Three did it fairly well, but there's always a detachment. I think like if it's totally a blank slate and you can just be as evil as you want in almost like a Grand Theft Auto way, then you probably are not caring about what's happening because you're just an agent of chaos. So I feel Mm -hmm. like if you're going to have a good and evil system in a game where the story matters, I do think there needs to be somewhat of a reasoning for it, which again goes back to the failing of the game. Because I think the most you could really justify is if they become like a Batman um, on revenge for the tragedy I felt kind (laughs) of figure. But even then, that gets closer to the Mass Effect thing where it's like it's not a good and evil system it's like halfway between good and evil is where the actual evil choices lead you know you're not becoming a bad guy in mass effect you know even batman i wouldn't say he's you know evil right he's like halfway yeah because he, Mm -hmm. he has this kind of like uh you know almost underhanded way of going about things but he's still not like killing a dude and becoming the joker also uh, as much as the joker wants right and 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 that's another thing with fable is that like simply progressing through the storyline you you just continually earn good morality points because if you kill a bandit you get two good morality points you kill a bug you get like two good morality mm-hmm. points because those things are evil and killing something evil is considered a good act in the game killing something good is considered an evil act so like if you want to max out your evilness quest decisions don't really play a role it's more about like well did you massacre all the residents of this town because you wanted to see what would happen if you massacred all the residents of this town you know you have to like go out of your way to like get all of those evil points it goes to like the fallout 3 problem like again that game is enough of a blank slate that i think it is more enjoyable to be good or evil but like being evil in that game you could blow up megaton and then just give water to a stranger five times and be considered neutral or good (laughs) you know like because the (laughs) karma system and it go actually this all weirdly goes back to the forgotten city where it's like the golden rule any kind of uh uh system of points with morality is inherently flawed in some way like because you can't mm-hmm. account for all the variables you know what is considered a good or bad action and the other thing also is like if you really wanted to get down to it it's like well really so basically the game is quantifying like murder of bad guys equals good murder of good guys <laughs> equals bad but there's no version of the game where it's like Actually, like just like killing people is kind of fucked up. Maybe there right, should be a pacifist general. option. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, <You> absolutely. 
But overall, I, I think I think going back to when Fable One came out, like again, two thousand four, the only like big Western RPG I can think of that was like also kind of embodying a moral system like this was Knights of the Republic, which I think is mm. you know in a, in a different kind of realm in terms of like what the intended experience is and just like the level of you know like it's it's part of me wants to say that Knights of the Republic is is better as an RPG, but they're going for completely different experiences. So I'm not even going to yeah. compare them. Um, but like, I think Fable One was ahead of like the sort of zeitgeist appetite for moral systems, and honestly, I think mostly pulls it off again for for the tone it's going for and like i don't know i i've enjoyed playing it despite my issues with like you know elements i brought up and just like uh you know it hasn't aged super well in terms of the mechanics but you know what hasn't from 2004 uh (laughs) and i i think that there are these like moments of brilliance that i can see why as a formative experience it's like oh yeah i can see why this would be like the game you can pair other games to for better and for worse being Mm -hmm. like your gateway into rpg and I think too, coming out when it did, you know, I, I remember the flow of like melee attacks and gun attacks and magic being like really fun and seamless. And the vibe in the beginning is like kind of like almost this like Dickensian cautionary tale in a weird way. <laughs> like it mm-hmm. has that sort of vibe to it. But yeah, I, I can see, I can see the the preference for one over the other. I would say if my memory of two is intact, I think two is better. But I think it also goes back to like, do you want the more authored experience or do you want like a a game that kind of like gives you the freedom to do whatever and like kind of make your own story in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to build up something you, you brought up earlier, Brendan, but it's already kind of uh, left my mind. Oh yeah. Sorry. No, you were talking about like the, the blank slate and, uh, and, and the, the game was very much sold on this, like the choice is yours. Like your free will is like a deciding factor in like how this game ends up being played. Yeah. And I didn't like do any like research into this for this episode, but my memory of the time period um, when this game was out and when Fable 2 was like, was in the works was the head of Lionhead, Peter Molyneux, um, just constantly writing checks he couldn't cash. Just yeah. just like coming out in interviews and being like, you know, in this game, you're going to be able to do like all of this stuff and it's going to have like major, major like implications for like what happens in the game. And it, especially in Fable 2, I feel like it ends up just mostly being like an aesthetic choice. And in Fable 1, as we've already kind of covered, like it's, it ends up being pretty limited compared to, to what, was, uh, what was initially promised. But it is still very uh, fun to, to mess with all that stuff. Can I talk a little bit about some of the like bugs in the game that make it broken, which I Please. think also make it really yeah, fun? Yeah, I, lo- I love this aspect of it because I feel like you almost had your own Fable-esque lifestyle in, in this way, where like you could have become a speedrunner but then deviated at the last <laughs> second. It, it sounds everything you're saying, like the exact vernacular that speedrunners of this game use, and I'm just like so fascinated as to how that ended up not happening. Tell me about the bugs in Fable. I'm so curious. Okay, so the one of the most ridiculous, I guess it isn't even a bug, but it certainly shouldn't be a feature. Um, the economy of Fable is completely broken um, because it is seemingly like backed by nothing and functions on the idea that like resources are unlimited. However, the basic rules of supply and demand still function. So it's incredibly <laughs> easy to accrue millions upon millions of gold in this game if you have the patience to spend a lot of time in a shopping menu. 
Yeah. Uh, what I mean by this is that if you go to a shop and they have like 10 health potions for sale, the price of those health potions will be like much higher than what the health potion is worth because they have a bunch of them and you don't have any. However, if you buy all of those 10 potions, if you wanted to sell them back to the shop, the shop now has no money in the back, uh, no, no health potions. And so the value of those health potions has gone really, really, really high. And you can just make money by buying something and selling it back to the shop directly. Now, Whoa. if you start doing this with like a small item like carrots that are worth like, you know, four gold, and all, all of a sudden you're going to find yourself having like 400 carrots in your bag because every time you go to a shop, you're just buying up all these carrots. And then you buy and sell the carrots back and forth to the shop and you just get like a thousand gold every time you do that. Once you start making money on that, you can just buy higher value stuff and continue this process. So I got to a point in this last playthrough where I had like 800 diamonds, which is the most like valuable item in the game. And I could sell them to a shop for like $1,000 per diamond and then buy them back for like $200 per diamond and was just pulling in money by just hanging out in the shop menu. That rules. And not only that, but if you do that with any degree of a combat multiplier turned on, you can max out your skill experience just from doing that. Um, so you could like <laughs> go to the bandit camp, kill a bunch of bandits, and then just walk up to one of the traders and just buy and sell health potions and will potions back and forth until you're the richest person in the game with a completely maxed out uh, skill experience. <laughs> like, it's completely ridiculous, which then also means that essentially you're just going to slowly become immortal because you're going to be carrying around like 400 health potions and 400 will potions. So it breaks that element of the game as well. And then on top of that, if you have unlimited will potions, that means you have unlimited ability to cast spells. So say you've just done a bunch of fighting and you've like accrued like a bit of a combat multiplier, you can just start casting spells, casting spells, casting spells casting spells and refilling the the will bar and the simple act of casting a spell gets you will experience so you can end up maxing out your experience in those categories so so quickly uh it's just ridiculous on top of that with the number of will potions if you have the spell physical shield you don't even take damage it just takes damage away from your will bar and the stronger your physical like your physical shield can get stronger than your resistance to damage ever could get so you can just max out the physical shield spell really early and just, again, become like impervious to damage. And the game, <laughs> the game does nothing to like punish you for this. Some other bugs that didn't make it into uh, Anniversary that were there in Fable and Fable Lost Chapters. There was one where you could go to the Temple of Light and donate gold, which if you could donate gold in exchange for not only like good morality points, but also a couple of exclusive weapons. And also I think you could get like a, a, a title that was like a, like the, mm -hmm. like a maxed out good aligned title. Yeah. You could donate all of your money, like everything in your bank. But if you clicked the A button really, really quickly while, while you were doing it, all of your money would come back. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and, and on top of that, what the biggest, like the best prize for donating money was they would reduce your age. And so <laughs> the, the downside of like getting, uh, like maxing out your experience is that you become a 65 year old man with like really deep set wrinkles and gray hair. And so if you didn't like looking old, a thing you could do was you could go to this other spot in the game where enemies would infinitely spawn either the hob cave or there was a place, I think it was in like the Greatwood Cullis Gate. If you just walked around it in circles, an earth troll would just sp keep spawning out of the oh, ground. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. So you could, yeah, so really early in the game, 
game, you could like max out your skill experience at a shop. You could max out your will experience um, by casting spells uh, with your infinite like will potions. And so all of a sudden you've got yourself all this uh, stuff that's maxed out. You could have this really strong physical shield. You could just walk around in that circle, getting your combat multiplier higher and higher and higher, killing these earth trolls over and over and over again. And you could max out your character basically completely with the exception of some of the spells that require certain morality levels to get. You could be more or less completely maxed out. And then on the Find the Archaeologist quest, which is where you discover the um, the Temple of Light, they used to have a, a function called a hero save versus a game save. So a hero save would just save the attributes of your character, but wouldn't affect the quest status. So in that early quest, when you discover that temple, you could just, if you were maxed out already, you could just keep donating gold to the temple over and over again, getting like two years reduced off your age, saving the game, reloading it and doing it all over again. So you could be 18 years old, have like flawless unscarred skin and have like a fully maxed out character and then just start playing the rest of the game and be like, <laughs> and be so wealthy that you could buy every single property in the entire game. Oh my God. Uh, which means that. that, and then you just keep getting more money because you get rent checks for all of the uh, all of the property you own and if you have all of the money you can get all the best weapons and all the best armor so you just keep getting like stronger and stronger and like more difficult and more difficult to kill and then the other thing i don't know if you guys picked up on this is that if you if you max out your character's attractiveness the game just gets easier because everyone just does whatever you want like yes. they run up to you to like help you out with stuff and all of the stuff that makes you most attractive also costs money. So again, with the economy bro being broken, the entire game is just completely broken. So you can just become maxed out super hot and just get whatever you want and just destroy everything in the game. All because of a pyramid scheme with carrots. I love yes, that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. To the point that when you get to the final <laughs> boss, you could kill the boss with the final boss with like five sword hits. Like it's that's it's that easy. Four more hits than the boss goes down normally in Fable 2, which is yeah. my major gripe with the entire series. Yeah. Spoiler, it dies in one hit. It's so the whole game is setting him up as like you want revenge against him so badly. He does shitty thing after shitty thing. And then he dies in one hit. Unbelievable. Yep. Yeah. Adam, that's I just I can't shocking. believe that in the broken version, it's still a harder <laughs> boss than in Fable 2. Honestly, honestly, the thing that you just described is actually closer to what like the original pitch for Fable is than what I actually played. <laughs> right. That you, you could eventually become God. <laughs> yeah. What you experienced and what you just described is actually the like everything is open and you can really you know poke it whatever you want poke it whatever system you want and there will be a reward for it kind of thing that i had always wanted from fable and didn't know existed <laughs> there so now it completely makes sense to me that this is like your favorite most formative game that you go back and play all the time because i would do if i knew how to do all that shit that sounds amazing yeah <laughs> this reminds me a lot adam when we played D D together and you like mysteriously rolled an incredible character that had like plus four in every stat that uh, was ridiculous they were, they were a Dragonborn uh, Storm uh, Cleric, I think. Or yeah, Tempest, Tempest Domain cleric. cleric, yeah. And they had an ability where whenever they got hit by a melee attack, you could just roll 2d8 to thunderously rebuke the enemy. <laughs> yep. And I remember in every com every combat, you were like, Steven, can I thunderously rebuke them? 
Okay, I do that. And it was just like Steven. anything I could think of was just dissolved by your static electricity on your God. <laughs> Stephen, I have such bad news about this. A thing that I have since learned because I've been playing a version of that character in a new campaign. Oh, fun. And Stephen, I'm, I, have to, I have to lay this at your feet and number one, A, apologize, but B, B also say this is kind of your fault because you were the DM. It turns out... <laughs> It turns out, Stephen, you're only allowed to use that ability once per long rest. <laughs> so you were using it, you know, every every, every hit, every con- not even once per battle, every yeah. hit. It's still a great ability, even once per day. Even, well, is and actually, still, at, at yeah. higher levels, you get like more uses per day. But yeah, yeah. We, we thought you could just use it whenever you want. It turns out you can only use it once per day. Hey, you know, we were all learning, all yeah. growing. Uh, <laughs> I, my lack of knowledge was the sort of broken system that you could take advantage of. You know, yeah. I was selling carrots back at twice the price. <laughs> you caught me where I where I fumbled. You know. <laughs> Dude, don't sell that teenager carrots. You have no idea where you're beginning. You gotta stop. I've traveled the time to prevent this. Oh my God. That's so funny. Can, can I talk a little bit about differences between Fable and Fable the Lost Chapters? This is like, I guess, really, really deep cuts, but Adam, yeah, this is your this is your moment. I want to hear all about it. I think that no, this is actually an important distinction. Yeah, I think you should talk about it. Yeah, yeah, go for it. So so the 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 main dif- like the, the major difference, like lo- Lost Chapters is like kind of an expansion on on the first one. It it really just seems like this the Fable, I guess, must have been released unfinished and then they were just released it again and it was a bit longer yeah um so you get like a whole new end game essentially like after you've killed the final boss you just get more game to play there's like a new uh like a couple of new areas to visit a couple of new kinds of villain to fight some of them are sadly just reskinned versions of other villains which is a bummer but then you get like a whole new final boss to fight i think all that stuff is like fun and i like it and i like all the new weapons and armor i do think though that lost chapters ends up a kind of like making jack of blades a more obvious and less mysterious villain because they changed the voice performance of the character in the original fable he's just kind of like you know like everyone in these games like a royal shakespeare company like mustache twirling uh you know talented like voice actor yeah um but you you don't necessarily expect when you first meet this character that that he's going to become the main villain of the game you're kind of like oh who's this cool mysterious guy in lost chapters they've pitched down his voice like four octaves so he's like Hello there, hero. And you're just like, okay, well, that guy's the villain. You know, just like yeah. completely robs it of any any sense of mystery. Yeah, there's like a little um, bit of reverb in there too. So like it kind of echoes out whenever he speaks. It's like so obvious <laughs> so immediately. It's like villain, yes. Well, I'm not up yeah. to anything. Don't worry about me just having fun at the carrot store. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, honestly, it's exactly like that, which is which I think is a huge bummer. Yeah. And also the ending of the original fable has kind of the ultimate sort of like morality test that has, I would I would argue, a significant consequence that I won't say because I don't want to spoil it. But essentially, you have the option of like, do I do something incredibly evil in order to get something very cool? Or do I do the right thing and not get the cool like thing as a result? And Lost Chapters completely undoes the weight of that choice because if you do the right thing, the moment you sort of wake up in the like new endgame of Lost Chapters, they're like, well, because you did the good thing, you also get the cool thing. And I th- like while it's nice to get the cool thing and, and have fun with it, it does kind of rob it of the of the power of like, but I 
think of, of making the right choice, I think. Yeah. Right, because there's that temptation. Yeah, I, I think that there's like, in a lot of games that have their own version of good or evil, I do think that like making good weirdly the like thankless path is usually the more powerful option. I think. Yeah, Because it's like, you're really doing it just because you think it's the right thing to do and because yes. you know you're not going to get any reward. Um, yeah, that's actually strangely enough the the like biggest strength of Fable 3, which is like a game that is like fine. The first half of that game is what you would expect the entirety of the Fable game to be is like you're going up against the big bad. Mm hmm. And then you beat the big bad about halfway through the game and you're thrust into what is almost a completely different video game at that point that requires yeah. you es essentially playing Reigns. If you've ever played Reigns on mobile, which is a it's a uh, what do they call it? It's a monarchy simulator where people just keep coming up to you and asking you like, hey, will you do this thing for me? And you could say yes or no. And you swipe left or right. It's like Tinder. It's a really wonderful game if you haven't played it. But um, that's essentially what's going on in Fable 3 is. Yeah. People just continually come up and ask you for things. And any Anytime you say yes, generally, it's the good option and that costs money, which comes from like your royal uh, vault, essentially. And anytime you say no, you're turning them down. You don't spend any money. And that's uh, like generally the evil path. And that I think is the biggest strength of three is that it's super fucking hard to do the good thing without going completely yeah. broke. There's actually a certain point where like you might just run out of money and you can't do the good thing anymore. And you just have to continually do the evil thing. And that it, to yeah. me is like one of the most like brilliant aha moments of that game is like when you're in the position of your evil shitty brother, it actually is very hard to be good. And, and you're constantly yeah. punished for it in a way that like actually might turn you evil by the end of it, whether you liked it or not. I think, you know, some people find that to be uh, frustrating and I understand that. But simultaneously, like if you've played good enough to that point, you will probably have enough money to do all the good stuff. At least I did by the time again, because the economy is completely fucked in that game as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. We didn't mention this. Fable 3 was made in two years, which I think is the wild thing. I, I think the other uh, games yeah, had like that's right. a five or six year development cycle and Fable 3 was made in about two years and that's horrifying but yeah it's, it's not super surprising a lot of that game is completely busted anyway point being i really yeah. like where the morality system nets out uh at the end of fable 3 i think it's a really interesting choice but unfortunately you have to play like a pretty like okay to bad game to get to that section so you know, <laughs> yeah who's to say i do think you know replaying this stuff uh in anticipation of this episode like go play fable one if you have game pass or if you have an xbox or even a pc i think it's on pc these days also like you yeah it, it is you can get it on the steam store yeah yeah like um, fable one is great i do wish that f i would like the tone of fable one matched with the like mechanic improvements of fable two those two things smashed together would be perfect yeah i i would like that too that that was definitely a bummer replaying it i was like yeah the mechanics of this have really not aged particularly well which is always the case, I think. It's like rare that I replay an old game, yeah. especially a game that's that old, where I'm like, oh, yes, what a flawless experience I'm having. <laughs> that's also like a very rough year. Like there are games from 10 years prior that play perfectly. Like the mm -hmm. early, early 360 era, like you know, Oblivion, it's like the peak cruel years of puberty like for video games <laughs> where like you know they were they were still kind of figuring out 3d environments but like a higher fidelity and like often in that era there was like this sort of like un i mean fable is the perfect example unreal ambition uh yeah. you know held, held back by stuff whereas i think in in systems prior you had these limitations that you had to work around yeah which yeah. is what we talked a lot about with the game boy advance we're like those games are timeless they will like it, there are probably some things to point out but like most of the time especially if you're playing like nintendo stuff like that that is immortal game experience you know like yeah. it was meant to be played a certain way and they built it around that idea 
Um, yeah. So, but I think I, I don't know if I'd be as quick to recommend playing Fable just like as a blanket statement. Again, I didn't get as far, so maybe my mind would change if I played more of it. I do think it's a really wonderful time capsule. I think if you care about like the history of games, I'd recommend checking it out. But I think as we do this show and as we revisit like a lot of older stuff, I feel like there are things that I'm like, definitely check this out. There's so much to like, like Shadow of the Colossus, for example, is a game that I think you like need to play, you know, that is like actually 2005 era game. But uh, Fable, I think, is like definitely worthy of like playing. I just think that like I wonder and I guess, Adam, I'd love your thoughts on this. Like I wonder if like it's more of a like here's like what games were aspiring to be at a certain point. And honestly, something Brendan and I talked about off the show is like the trilogy has such a unique vibe to itself. Like I don't know any game Mm -hmm. that like feels and that goes back to your like the main draw for you when you play this was just the like the atmosphere of it and like the the Monty Python voice acting and like yeah that kind of like I don't see that really anywhere else maybe Oblivion by accident but not like by design <laughs> Oblivion didn't try to be that but very much was yeah you're absolutely right yeah very much like a room scenario but I guess Adam like going back to like obviously this is a lot of nostalgia for you but do you think that like now that you've been playing more games that are out now like where does this kind of fall for you what do you think you like recommend to someone checking it out or what would you say if someone was thinking about checking it out for the first time kind of thing uh i i don't know how a current audience would uh react to playing this game for the first time i think that the mechanics haven't aged well i think that the systems that it that it uses have been done better by like many other more modern games Mm. and i i I guess like the thing that is still kind of unique to it that would make it a a game you would want to play probably is the tone um the tone and the vibe of it being like pretty goofy and really like it it just has like a very specific sense of humor for example i'm gonna if if you check out like any gravestone in the entire game and there are hundreds of them they all have goofy shit written on them so for example, here lies the infamous poet M. Hill, gorged on too many words and had his fill. It's great. This grave says, you're standing on my head. <laughs> this grave reads, studying decomposition. I love this. Uh, this headstone says, I'm dead. Happy now? <laughs> yeah, that, that stuff and then, is great. And then the worst one, all work and no play is apparently the way the world works. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> But then all the books, too, the books are the same thing. So um, the tale of Maxley, as everyone knows, hobs are stupid creatures, but every so often a clever one comes along. Maxley was one such hob and tired of eating raw flesh and sleeping in streams. He left to seek his fortune in the world of humans. He murdered a nobleman and stole his clothes, dressed up and walked tall on the road to Bowerstone. When he arrived, people complimented him on his appearance. When he answered, his hob grunting gave him away. The guards killed Maxley and put his head on a spike. It is better to keep quiet and be thought an idiot than to open one's mouth and prove it. See, this is kind of, I feel like I wish the whole game matched that, you know? Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like rather than having it be like a spice, I wish it was like more of a Terry Pratchett kind of tone with Mm -hmm. that, like throughout Mm -hmm. the whole game. That's fair. Yeah. But I think that I think that you're right. I think that like the the, the goofiness and, and the tone of it are definitely like unique to itself. It's definitely an interesting experience. I also think too the irony of the game is that, like you said, 
it was hyped by the creator of like grass is going to grow in before your eyes. And like yeah. your son, you know, like, I think he said, Brendan, it's like your son will grow up and he'll be the villain. And, and you know, it's yeah. just like, yeah, they really promise some insane stuff. And, and the irony is that what we're talking about now is like how simple it is. I think the appeal of it is just sort of like the storybook yeah. kind of like, Oh yeah. Uh, definitely. Like you're, you're the devil or an angel. And that's kind of funny. Like that's the appeal of it. Yeah. Weirdly enough. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I think there's one side quest in the game that perfectly captures kind of like when the tone doesn't make any fucking sense and like kind and in a way I think like this just encapsulates like your your kind of like comment there Stephen there's yeah. a side quest where you discover a uh, bordello and it's it's called the Darkwood Bordello and it is a uh, it's just like this house that uh, a man named Mr. Grope uh, has a brothel there. Oh my god! And the the quest and like okay, he's called Mister Grope. That's very very funny. But then the quest itself is like Mister Grope is like an evil abusive man who runs this brothel, and like you need to free the sex workers who are under his employ. And so it's like okay, it'd be like funny if this was like a happy, like well run place where everyone's having a good time and feels respected. Then you can call the guy Mister Grope and like have all of these like very goofy jokes around all of it. But then when it's like no, no, he's really evil and abusive, and you need to like find a way to get rid of him to save these women. That's where it gets really like un comfortable and you're like why why are these tones like like coming up against each other yeah it does not it doesn't make any sense yeah like way way heavier than the game yeah has way earned. way yeah. heavier yeah, yeah. right I, I think that's kind of you know of getting a, a less intense version of that throughout moments um yeah but yeah but yeah it was, i still am glad i played it i think um i'd like to maybe go back to fable 2 and see how that feels for me and uh, maybe eventually check out fable 3 if i'm like sick one day or something but you get a dog uh, in fable 2 <laughs> It definitely will make you feel better. <laughs> I feel like Fable 3 is in the same part of my brain as Rise of Skywalker, a movie I have not seen that people have told me not to see. Uh, and I'm like, maybe if I'm just like, I can't move one day, I'll like either play <laughs> Fable 3 or watch Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. I will say in the preparation for this episode, I, I downloaded all, like I've had all three on my Xbox the whole time. Mm-hmm. And every time I sat down to play Fable 3, I would like sit there and stare at it and like hover over the A button to select it and then would go and play something else. Like time and time and time again. Yeah. I actually like <laughs> needed to force myself to open it up the other day. It was like, I just need to put a couple hours into it and just see. Like, I just need to see what it's about. Yeah. And and to its credit, the opening is fine I, without, you know, th- that horrible decision they make you make like pretty early on. It, it feels like <laughs> it's a lot more together than it becomes as soon as the world opens mm-hmm. up and you start to like really play it. But anyway, yeah. all that said, do you guys want to take a break? We've been talking for a long time. We'll take a break. Come back and talk about some more stuff. Yeah. yeah. Cool. That sounds cool. great. Sounds good. Goodbye. See you soon. Hello, welcome back, dear listener. We were actually just in the middle of like an impassioned conversation about Skyrim. So it was like, oh, yeah, we should probably just hit record for this because why not? Um, anyway, th- it actually gets to what I wanted to talk about uh, a, a little later. But for now, uh, Skyrim, we were just talking about how like revisiting that game, you still I mean, we did a whole bonus on it. So you can go listen to that, dear listener. But revisiting that game just like says so much about why that game has endured so much. Uh, since we've recorded that mm-hmm. bonus, they've announced that they're re-releasing it again on Modern consoles there's gonna be a ps5 and xbox series version uh that i think includes a bunch of mods uh and like i forget what it's called creator something um they're including a bunch of 
of mods in the game uh, when you buy it, which is fun. Just like saying like these are canon incorporated, like actually mechanics in the game. Now, one of them is like fishing. Like they finally added fishing to Skyrim. Oh, um, my God. Why oh, is that cool. what I needed? Oh, yeah. Shit. Like, I'm just so excited <laughs> for that. The, the thing that I think really stands out to me, though, about Skyrim, as we were just talking about, is like every time you go back to that game, you find new stuff. I've had like three major spells of playing that game. One when it first came out, played like who knows how much. One when it came out again, uh, Legendary Edition. Oh, no, no, sorry. Once again on PC, when I had a gaming PC, it was like, oh, time to play Skyrim on PC with mods and see what that's all about. <laughs> um, and then once again uh, with Skyrim VR on the PlayStation 4, which I didn't expect. Oh, wow. I didn't expect that to be like, you know, the big moment for me. I thought it was going to kind of be a novelty and like a thing to show my friends when they came over. But because of the way VR affects my very strange, uh, not perfect at all eyes, I don't have any motion sickness or anything. So put like another like couple hundred hours into playing Skyrim VR, which is like a just incredible experience. And that game I could go back to over and over and over and over again and constantly find a new thing that I like so dearly love about it the same way you kind of have with Fable, Adam. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's funny, like Sky- Skyrim is kind of, for me, it's like Fable, but on steroids uh, and minus some of that like tone, you know, um, yeah. like like from, I, like I feel like I probably wouldn't have gotten into Skyrim if it weren't for Fable. Mm. Um, sure. Yeah. And I can't remember what, what year did Skyrim initially come out? 2011. 11. Yeah. OK, so so it like 2011 into 2012, like I played that game like every day, like just yeah. the you know, like I just did mm-hmm. not stop playing playing it. Um, I, and I and I never beat the game like I never I never even like I think I got like halfway through the main quest line and was just like oh all this other stuff is a lot more interesting that's um, the curse of every Bethesda game I feel like the main quest yeah. is always the seventh most interesting thing happening you know <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah yeah but I, I will say it's it's interesting because earlier I was saying that I don't necessarily love when a game is too open and you can't like you can't beat everything Skyrim's the only game where it is that open and it is that impossible to complete everything everything and i've still loved it mm. um i don't i don't quite know what the magic is there that they were able to pull off but it's somehow like just humongous and endless but still works for me whereas normally i think a, a, another reason why i keep going back to fable is a thing i really like i think is the illusion of choice and the illusion of openness mm-hmm. when something is actually completely freeform and you can just do whatever you want in whatever order you want i end up getting normally like lost frustrated and quitting the chief example of this being a game that like i objectively can can tell is like a pretty perfect game i can't get anywhere in it because i just get lost and bored is breath of the wild which um please don't murder me for saying that <laughs> i mean i think it uh i'll, I'll let i let that slide adam because i faulted your character in D. now we're even um but uh <laughs> I mean, I get that because honestly, I think I know more than more than a few people who have felt intimidated by the scale of Breath of the Wild and who yeah. prefer the more kind of linear authored structure of the previous Zelda games. You know, the fact that like and, and I think honestly, you need to kind of find your own groove in both Skyrim and Breath of the Wild to like kind of mm-hmm. get started. And I think you brought up a lot of brilliant points i think the you know the illusion of uh i'd push back on the term illusion but i think it goes to design versus just like scale you know i think mm-hmm. what we talk about a lot in the skyrim bonus is and also breath of the wild both games feel big but they're not as big as games like ghost of tsushima or whatever other similar right. type games that are actually huge but they feel big because of the design of the environment i think the reason skyrim doesn't feel at least you know in our in our perception doesn't 
doesn't feel like, oh, I'm never going to beat this, is the fact that there really isn't a game to beat. I think the game is like mm-hmm. just existing and letting you occupy it as a truly blank slate. Going back to yeah. what we were talking about with Fable, where you're just jumping in and, and coming at any angle you want. And it's why that game was such a success, because like, you know, my ass coming from Oblivion days were like you needed to like have a notebook about your character before you could actually start playing. <laughs> Skyrim just allowed anyone, regardless of their interest in RPGs, uh, to like have fun and find something to do. And by extension of that, teach them what is beautiful about RPGs. You know, the mm-hmm. fact that you can just pick up a bow and go hunting and all the quests, like you'll eventually have this giant quest list, but no one's like barking at you to do it. That I think that's the, the, yeah. the that's, reason that's why true. Skyrim doesn't feel too much as like, you know, if you pass a shopkeeper, they'll be like, thanks for getting my claw back. But like, that's not going to, you know, you're not. um Yeah. There's no demand that there might be in other games where like, it's like, uh, like actually Mass Effect 3 is a good example of this, where eventually there's so many fetch quests in that game that like you do know there might be some narrative consequence for not doing and it feels stressful not in a good way you know where it's like mm-hmm. oh how do i keep track of all this i'm just not even gonna do it be- and then i end up making a narrative <laughs> decision just because i'm frustrated yeah, you know and right. like that's that's where it can be weird whereas in skyrim it's like if i ever get the bear pelts back for that person i met at the inn in Markarth, like i don't give a shit like that's not gonna change anything <laughs> you know so like yeah uh it's really like that game lets you care about whatever you want to care about and again like we were saying um the thing that I think often gets ignored about Skyrim too, in terms of how big it is, there's an entire Skyrim sized map underground that is like the Dwemer, yeah, right. You know, fall. Uh, uh, what are they called? The Snow Elves. Like, there's like an entire like almost. It feels like uh, underwater almost, where it's like the only light is like this sort of fungi that radiates a glow. Like, yeah, that shit I always forget about, and then I go to him like you this like trip and fall into it and just yeah have this yeah. like yeah brain blast moment. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is here. There's a building called the lecture hall that's just full of hostile uh, humans that will attack you when you go in. But they're all kind of in rags. And the building is set up with like seats and a podium. And there's also hostile uh, snow elves there. What are they called again? Uh, I I almost said Faulkner. I'm like, that's not the Falmer. Falmer, Thank you. (laughs) You read uh, uh, as I lay dying. (laughs) Yes, 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 exactly. Uh, but there's a building called the lecture hall where there are all these people that attack you and, and all these snow elves. And like, it's never explained or talked about, but it's such a creepy place. And I just think that mm-hmm. goes back to the design of Skyrim where like everything kind of has like a, a little bit of a story that you may not ever get, but like there's a mm-hmm. reason why it was created. Whereas I think in, you know, Oblivion, like a lot of stuff is copied and pasted and other games that go for size over scale. And yeah, I think honestly, Fable and Skyrim are, are sort of in a similar realm of like letting you jump in and just playing however you want to play and the game's sort of molding to that. I think in, in yeah. Fable, it's largely announced in a way that kind of feels campy. And then in Skyrim, it, it's sort of <laughs> like anonymously, like no one really talks about it. So it's up to you to sort of fill in the blanks. And there's also a beauty in that, I think, as well. Yeah. Yeah. The the other thing I think that 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 uh, allowed me to enjoy Skyrim so much is that I'm actually like quite bad at video games generally because I have very very slow reflexes. Um and so typically like any game that is like known for its like difficulty, I cannot play because I just physically cannot play it. Uh, I actually re- I remember in your Last of Us episode, uh you were talking about sort of like difficulty as an accessibility factor and like mm-hmm. 
that very much applies to me. Like I fucking suck. <laughs> like it really makes my life so much more fun when I can put it on like a much lower difficulty. And Skyrim doesn't have that, but like the enemies scale to how like strong you've become. So if you just like don't get stronger, like you can still kind of keep going because the the enemies just like don't get that much more difficult. Um, mm. At least at least in my memory, I could be wrong on that. But you're you're right. In some cases, I think you can also like any like mid combat, you can bump the difficulty down or up, which will like reduce. I think. It essentially reduces the health and the damage given basically um i find that game mm, shines yeah. when you're like unstoppable like i feel like playing sky i used to think like i like playing on a higher difficulty and i don't think that's the case i think putting it unless i'm playing as lester who only punches more on that someday uh but uh i i, I find that being like an overpowered kind of like hero in that game is a lot more fun yeah spec all your yeah. points into bow and arrow and stealth and you're an unstoppable <laughs> machine of darkness um, yeah yeah but yeah I also think that the game itself doesn't require like it's not like a uh, it's not requiring like like you said reaction time or like rolling around it's pretty like you know walk and do your thing kind of thing yeah but yeah I think there's I mean th- th- we can have a whole episode about accessibility options and stuff and how important it is I-, I think it's much more in the public conversations now because I think that a lot of stuff that you know the three of us even would take for granted I think are big learning curves just in muscle memory for a lot of people who are playing for the first time. Honestly, one of the mm-hmm. things I'm proudest of with this show and what I try to do with the show is really encourage people who have almost been bullied into thinking that games aren't for them to really find something they love because like apply that mm-hmm. to any other medium and you realize how silly it is. It's like, you know, I don't like movies because someone told me they're not for me. You know, like, I hate that. Like, I want people <laughs> to, there's so many different kinds of games. There's going to be yeah. a game that you really love. Um, but I realized that like like a, a close friend of mine, you know, who recently got into games, they played a game because they hadn't played a game where you can rotate the camera with a second joystick, which is, you know, second nature to a lot of people who grew up with it. But like mm. that is something you have to get used to. Yeah. You know, that is something that right. you have to like play a game to like have a mental memory of. And I feel like, you know giving someone the ability to play anything you know there's there's obviously the intended experience but i think that there's a way to do both and there's a way to also like onboard someone with you know a more accessible game because i think accessibility doesn't always equate to difficulty either which i think often gets no no it doesn't you know like but i I like looking at it through that lens because like there are certain games that i'll I'll just never be able to play because i'll never be able to get past the first like stage of it you know yeah accessibility is always going to be a more kind of subjective thing but I, i i think i think in your case, Adam, like I, I feel very similarly. Like, and and along with what you were saying, Stephen, like I play every. I'm very vocal about the fact that any game that has a difficulty setting on it, I will play on like the narrative or easy difficulty, just because like that's going to make it more enjoyable for me. Because I'm not, I'm not in it yeah. to get like frustrated by losing over and over again. Psychonauts Two is actually a great example. Wonderful accessibility features in that game across the board for like any any version of accessibility that you might need or want. But that game halfway through, I turned invincibility mode on, and I never turned it off again because like I realized (laughs) the the combat was not the reason I was playing that game at a certain point I was in it for like the really Mm -hmm. kind of like harrowing and interesting and nuanced and like almost tongue-in-cheek approach to exploring like different realms of mental illness and wellness and things like that asking for help very it's it's a really really like emotionally grounded and mature take on really like heavy topics that's like presented in a reverent way and that had nothing to do with like surviving a boss battle you know like that 
that's not that's not what mm-hmm. I was interested in uh, in that game. And I think that's really I think it's a really lovely thing that that's becoming, you know, uh, I, I don't know, front of mind, I guess, for uh, developers these days. It's being prioritized uh, more. Yeah. Not to be a fucking Microsoft mouthpiece on this goddamn podcast, but like <laughs> that's like really a focus for Microsoft and the Xbox division as well. Like accessibility is like a huge thing as a whole mm-hmm. for Xbox as as a brand, which I think is really wonderful. Yeah. Um, but anyway, all that said, I think I think all of this actually kind of bridges to the thing that I was going to ask about because we just had like a conversation about, you know, the Fable trilogy, which like is not in the public consciousness currently, except for the fact that there might be a sequel <laughs> one day uh, made by the Forza Horizon team, uh, which is worth mentioning. Yeah, that is a really strange uh, combination of words there. I, but, uh, I will play I, whatever they put out. I even played Fable Heroes, the like arcade game. Oh, no. They, <laughs> yeah, um, that, that was an interesting yeah. one. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, so we just talked about Fable. We just talked about Skyrim a bunch. I think one of my favorite things uh, to give you a little plug, one of my favorite things about Eye of the Duck, uh, your wonderful podcast, is just this idea that you don't need to talk about whatever's new. Uh, it's a thing that we very much value and kind of subscribe to here on mm-hmm. Into the Aether. Um, but anyway, yeah, I th- I think that like I think there's a value. For, first of all, just people coming into a medium, you know, fresh. I think it, it's worth, as Stephen was saying, you know, just like having everyone on the same playing field. Like you might know the thing like the back of your hand. You might have never experienced it before. You might not think of yourself as like a movie person. You might not think of yourself as a game person. But there is a movie or a game out there for you. And it's worth having conversations across you know, yeah. that, that entire spectrum of like expertise in a medium. But I also think it's worth reexamining things all the time, right? Like you you recently did an episode about Green Knight, but like you also just did an entire summer long experience where you <laughs> revisited the entire Alien franchise and one after the other talked about every movie in that series and how it relates to the entirety, uh, which wrapped up in a really wonderful episode about the entirety of the franchise, which I really loved. But just like out of curiosity what what kind of drove you and dom to structure your podcast that way uh because it's a thing that like we do all the time and i've never really thought about outside of just like steve and i like talking about the things that we're playing and like we don't really care yeah. if it's new or old we just do it anyway but yeah out of curiosity like you like us started a movie podcast you know in a world where there's like billions of movie podcasts already we started a video game <laughs> podcast in a world where there are already billions of video game podcasts so why why tackle stuff through this lens out of curiosity well first of all thank you for all those kind words i i really appreciate it and i appreciate the both of you coming on our show and and having me on the show and having dom on the show and uh, just all the support you've given both um with within your show, like all the shout outs and then uh, also the like retweets on Twitter. It, it really means a lot. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful. It's a good and... podcast. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Um, we, if you compliment us, we will like, like snapping turtle back at you. I've noticed <laughs> like we cannot take compliments. I'm speaking in the Royal. We, I don't know how Brendan is. No, that, yeah, but, there's no. a whole level in Psychonauts <laughs> too about that, that I, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, but yeah, and also I, I love your show and I, I love that sometimes I, I open up my feed and you're talking about a game from like 10 years ago because also it's more likely that I've played that game than I've played a new game. Mm. And that is like a thing that is very nice for me to find in my feed is to hear the two of you talking about something like that, which is also kind of like the thinking on our end is that I we kind of knew immediately we're never going to be able to be like a top of the line like zeitgeisty podcast by like always covering like the, the newest thing because so many people were 
already doing it. They're already doing it much better than we ever could. And it also isn't necessarily conducive to the way in which we want to be discussing the films we're looking at. Uh, We're very much trying to do like deep dives into how the film was made and what does that have to do with like the final outcome? Like, what does that have to do with the the film itself? And what does it have to do with like the careers of everyone involved in the project? Mm-hmm. And how does that help us find the the scene at the center, which is the goal of every episode? Not the goal of every episode, because it's not necessarily goal oriented. But the just for anyone who hasn't listened to the show, it's called Eye of the Duck. Eye of the Duck is a concept that um, David Lynch came up with, where he says that every uh, so he says the 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 only way you can can really understand a duck is by looking at its eye and its eye is always in the exact right place and it's like a beautiful little gem and every film has its own eye of the duck scene something that kind of defi- like a, a one part that kind of defines the whole mm-hmm. and so in order to find that scene for me i have to do a lot of research i have to watch the film more than once minimum i'm watching that film twice and i also want to be reading maybe sometimes a book about that film i want to be you know watching every single special feature on a blu-ray I want to watch like making of clips on YouTube, like all of this stuff. And that kind of material simply just doesn't exist for films that have come out two days ago. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's also, I I feel like our our show is like, it is, it, it functions only because of a certain era of home video releases where like DVDs and Blu-rays would come with like a two hour making of documentary. Yeah. And director's commentary, the whole thing. Yeah. 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 All, all of that stuff for me at least is like vital to like my process of, uh, of, of searching for those scenes and for making the show more than just what if two guys talked about like the thing that you saw in theaters on Friday, you know, mm-hmm. um, in, in order to be able to give an audience a deeper dive into things and to do research in the way that we like to do it, there needs to just be that body of, of stuff to, uh, to, to dig through uh and so basically any film made between like 1969 and uh 2005 is going to have like a really really robust uh home video release and pretty much anything after that point doesn't yeah i also feel like with film especially like you see it over and over again where like the the movies that are heralded as classics are almost always met with like a divisive reaction like i feel like mm-hmm. um even something more recent like prometheus which like you and dom differed on but i feel like that's that's like the perfect movie to bring up here where it's like here's something from 2012 not even ceremoniously retro like 2012 and uh giving a a fresh glance i think there's something about film that really like you said requires multiple viewings and also time not that it's like more advanced but i just think that like there's something about how we internalize movies and also like the time it comes out and like as times change what stories resonate and you know what stories land and like uh you know i think also like with all media, I feel like there's this desire to uh, with games, especially, I think because of the high like cost of games, of making them and of buying them. I think a lot of uh, criticism uh, initially at least started in like, should I get this or not? You know, like, is this worth my right. time and money? Yeah, definitely. Buy, and, rent and people, or ignore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like, obviously, like, th- you know, having someone to like give you a, a insight of whether or not it's worth $60, which is a lot of money yeah um 
is worthwhile, but I also think that like the downside of that is like trying to find a pseudoscience to like be like, okay, what is worth my time? Like, uh, is the game long enough? Is it big enough? Is it, you know, like I've, I've seen people all the time on like Reddit or forums be like, well, I say like a dollar per minute or a dollar per hour. It's like, that doesn't mean anything. Like, yeah, I never, right. I, you know, I understand like, uh, feeling yeah, imagine maybe, thinking about a movie in that way. Imagine thinking like, okay, I paid $10 to go see this movie. The thing is though, audiences are currently thinking of movies like that, which is part of why blockbuster films keep getting longer and longer and longer. longer. Because they're like, if I have to pay $27 per seat for my whole family to go and see a film, it better occupy the entire day. Right, right. And and I think that Which I think is making blockbuster films more expensive to make and less like and 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 more poorly paced which mm. is like another reason why we don't necessarily want to be covering new films all the time is like i mean don't get me wrong i love modern blockbusters in many ways i go and see a lot of them or at least i did before the time period we live in now i i think that the the current state of things that get distributed on mass isn't necessarily a thing i would want to do a podcast about Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, right. you know. But again, I, I, for for many of the reasons we've already said, but also just like I, I think it's it's more fun and more fruitful for me to be talking about things that have been in the have been out there for a while that that you might have a bit of familiarity with or that you might have missed, but you'd like an excuse to to go and check it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think my 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 point was like I think that because of this justification for price for both movies and games, there's a tendency to try to figure out a piece of media's worth right away. Both like yeah. not only financially but also like is this a good game or not? You know, and like we need to figure that out in a month and then we're moving on. And that's yeah. that's like very I think it's a very dangerous mindset. I understand why it's framed that way from like a business point of view, but I yeah. feel like it's not beneficial to really anyone. And I think no one really wants to talk about games that way and framing any any media discussion that way is is harmful right and i i I think like you said i think freeing up the ability to like because i think you know there are plenty of like purposely retro shows um Mm -hmm. but i think you know like the the element of surprise for oneself too like i I think about when i picked up gravity rush 2 which is like from 2017 it wasn't that long ago that game Mm -hmm. sold roughly 20 copies (laughs) <laughs> uh, and I loved it. Like I really knew nothing. Yeah. There was no, uh, and I really relish that. It's so rare to find any piece of media where you're going in like with no preconceived notion of what it is. Cause even if mm-hmm. you love something, if someone has framed, if there's been a frame discussion about it, it's so hard to let that go. Cause then even your opinion is battling that, yeah. you know, we yeah, recently sure. answered a question in a Q and a that was centered around that was like, how do, how do you ignore that kind of stuff? And I think actually that might, that might really highlight almost the difference between how we're covering our respective choices of media on our shows is like you you I love that Mm -hmm. you love to dive into that context and know about the making of like really just absorb all of it and I love just throwing all that shit in the trash like I love like taking all of that (laughs) I think like Fable is is maybe the best example weirdly enough and it's why I wanted to talk about this like the Peter Molyneux of it all hung so low over that franchise for so long was this idea that anytime he did an interview he was like you'll plant an acorn as a kid and 15 hours later it'll be a sapling and then 15 hours later it'll be a whole tree like (laughs) 
the acorn thing just like that was peter molyneux's whole vibe and i was so yeah. excited now like <laughs> over a decade later to revisit this franchise with none of that clouding my judgment none like, of the just, baggage yeah yeah taking all that baggage and throwing it out that's why i was so excited for you guys to cover prometheus which like i loved i'm not going to get into prometheus i loved prometheus in theaters when i first saw it and and the way mm. that it was discussed online right after was so fucking disappointing to me because it was all yeah steeped in expectation which actually you guys went into a lot on uh when it came to talking about alien 3 which was one of your favorites i had revisited yeah. to listen to your episode and was like blown away because i saw alien 3 thinking about aliens the whole time and was disappointed and revisiting it you know decades removed from the first time i saw aliens was like oh shit this movie's great if you just don't expect it to be a sequel to aliens it's its own thing yes it stands alone and is like so deeply wonderful and achieves the thing it wanted to do for the most part there's some you know troubling elements but anyway <laughs> it's like pretty great and I, that's why i was so excited to go revisit fable and that's why i so love revisiting stuff on this show is like i didn't like this at one point let me revisit it and see how i feel about it now that i'm a different person with a different life experience who's like grown up yes. a bit you know i mean even uh even yeah. in the course of doing the show like i remember i played the, I think the biggest example of me having like a uh, heel turn, I know, is when a wrestler becomes a villain. What's like the baby face twist? Anyway, I had a redemption arc where <laughs> I I picked up Dragon Quest Eleven and like kind of liked I liked it enough to bring it up, but I was yeah. like, eh, it's fine. And then you were really pumped to play it, and then you loved it, and I was like, that's nice. And then I finally <laughs> played it again and also loved it, and we did a whole bonus about it. So like, yeah. even within the span of like, you know, not even looking back to college or high school or whatever, like even in this current timeline it's funny to see like how revisiting stuff can can work out yeah yeah i think re revisiting stuff it's it's always fruitful and the the other thing just in general as far as like that being sort of a, a decision to make a thing about is like i find that doing this is more fun if it's an act of love right yes, so yes, yes you know it's it's always more fun for me to take a, a film off the shelf give it another shot and find something to say about it because yeah. again something I, I love about your show and something we try to do on our show is like it's never meant to be like a necessarily a review or a passing of judgment it's like what's the thing at the center of this and that's inherently neutral which just i think is a way that allows you to leave more room for like actual conversation versus mm. um you know the the kind of personas that I, i've heard the two of you kind of uh poke, poke fun at i can't remember the names of them but like there's one of those characters you do steven like flip and scratch i, I, I like think, all of, were the, were the names flip and scratch that. that's oh, it oh yeah yes. there's a lot of like guitar solos and like yeah it's, it's, it's like it's like what yeah. can i do to not be <laughs> flip and scratch you know yeah at the same time i think it's also worth knowing that like it's also okay to revisit something and have a negative thought about it you know yeah. like i mean i, I feel like oh, with yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's like huge bummer when it happens, but <laughs> yeah. And, and you can also, I think what I try to do at least is like, it's like, okay, like, is there enough here to like overpower that? Or does it kind of like make this whole thing like not fun to play? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think the most heartbreaking experience on this show was me having the uh, the sort of Icarus uh, foolish ambition to revisit uh, Sonic Adventure 2 battle and just being <laughs> heartbroken at like 
I mean, not only is this game bad, it is terrible. And I was like, yeah. I can't believe I talk about a game I 100%ed and like knew like the back of my hand. I yeah. not only did I love that game, I thought it was like the best Sonic game. Uh, and oh uh, my goodness, yeah, it is. It is trash. Uh, yeah. Excluding the well, shower. Steven, I'm sorry for your loss. No, it's okay. It's okay. It was a lot like um, like my memory of Chili's as a kid, like going to Chili's like with my family uh, and yes. going there and like college would be like, what is this? This is like, yeah, yeah. going there like 10 years later after having had like actual Mexican food. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're just like, oh my God, this is awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there's a great, um, uh, Stephen, I know you like Mitchell and Webb because um, we, we've watched it together, but um, yeah. Robert Webb wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago called uh, How Not to Be a Boy, which is like, it's, it's his order autobiography and a lot about sort of like his struggle with like living in a society full of like toxic masculinity as a man. It's very, very good. But there's a great chapter in it called like, I think it's called like The Last, Last Action Hero. And it's about him revisiting the movie The Last Action Hero and realizing that it sucks and that he's never, ever going to watch it again, even though he thought it was his favorite <laughs> film. And I just, I think, I don't know. I think you should check it out because it sounds exactly like your experience with Sonic Battle 2. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. I think also something I quote and think about all the time is the Are We the Baddies sketch. Yeah, I think so I, I'm, good. I'm playing Fire Emblem Through Houses again, and that is a big vibe of the Black Eagles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> wait a minute. Anyway, anyway. I do... Um, uh that weirdly have had a similar I don't I don't I can't talk about it as much as I'd like to for obvious reasons but I've been rewatching all the Spider-Man movies in order which like I just mm-hmm. loved all of them unconditionally growing up because I was such a huge fan of Spider-Man and boy has time uh, changed my opinion on maybe the I'll, I'll just say the amazing Spider-Man films in particular I'm oh, not yes. enjoying as much as I did in theaters way back when but again yeah. it's still like a, a rewarding and refreshing experience to like go back and watch those movies again and, and think about why I'm having a different experience with them and to watch all of them and put them all in the context of each other and explore them as like one larger thing is a very fun fun like little project i think yeah absolutely Um, Absolutely. on that note i do have to uh i do have to run to this Uh, uh, this thing unfortunately um but I will I will leave you with this. Speaking of Spider-Man, um I think there's a game for two of you (laughs) my I can't believe this What's it called? Was this Adam? whole fucking episode of Ruse? Did you plan this like eight steps ahead, texting me about Fable, becoming my friend even, just to do this to me? I didn't. This is, your I even keep this is so fucked up. This is yeah. The curse is complete. How dare you? On your way out, even we can't even. We can't even. even, we can't even. <laughs> I couldn't even do it. For those who don't know what just happened, Adam has been rickrolling me for years with Spider-Man for PS4. Any Anytime I tweet anything, really, he'll reply like, hey, Stephen H., have you heard about Marvel's Spider-Man for the PS4 2018? I think you'd really like it. <laughs> oh, I'm really sorry for doing that because you were so nice to have me on and I had such a nice time and then I did no, that. No, <laughs> that, that was the perfect exit. That was like a tuxedo mask kind of fl- flying out the window. Exit. That was great. I, I I feel uh, my brain woke up. That was amazing. I need I need my coffee and I need Adam to prank me on my own fucking show to really wake up. Oh my god. Oh boy.
Um, well, anyway, thank you so much for joining us. This is this is like unbelievably fun, and we'd love to have you on again whenever yeah. whenever fate allows. I, I would I would love to come back. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was uh, this was a delight, and I'm definitely going to be playing more Fable Two and probably try out Fable Three. So if for some reason you want to talk about more Fable at a later date, definitely let me know. Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> any anything coming up for Eye of the Duck or just in your life in general you want to talk about? Anything? Yeah. Where can people the find the show, etc.? Yes, you can find Eye of the duck on any podcasting uh, platform we're on all of them uh, and you can find us on any social media including letterboxd at eye of the duck pod uh, you can find us at eye of the duck pod.com and we'll be talking about well i can't really say f- uh, what we're going to be talking about next but we just finished our um, big mini series on all of the uh, alien films uh, xenomorph summer it has come to an end <laughs> but that means that you can enjoy all of it uh, uh, all at once you can binge the entire thing so yeah that's, I would recommend that's where you can it. find it all cool Amazing. thank you so much for joining us adam yeah uh this is this has been the best um i'm so glad we finally got to do this i love the show it's really amazing to to get to be here and see it all happen <laughs> yeah. yeah very magical see the thank magic you so much happen. yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right uh let's take a break and uh, right, get Steven. the fuck out <laughs> bye <laughs> dear listener we're back wanted to thank adam again for uh joining the show it was really fun it was good to have him on thank you adam thank you adam adam's enjoying a wonderful brunch now and i hope he's i hope he's having a good time it's a it's a nice enough day in new york city today that i think uh oh my god it. yeah it's really beautiful <laughs> in chicago was that, was that oh my god about brunch a nice day or new york city what happened was as you might know by now my my brain is very reactionary to the immediate moment but i i, I might stop listening to what's happening after that uh, i you said it's nice out and i realized how nice it is in chicago today it's like 72 and sunny it's beautiful yeah. i went for a run this morning i, I cried at the beauty of, of yeah. the windy city i get it yeah i went to the zoo yesterday and it was very nice as well it was like a really nice day I was yeah like, you know kind of like low 70s breezy i got to go look at like a, a bald eagle as it kept like flapping its wings yeah. at me it was great it was a majestic experience uh anyway we wanted to talk about video games specifically yeah Wildermyth, uh, a game that you brought up last week and I have now played a whole bunch of. My partner, Persia, actually has also just beaten it like while we were recording this episode. Um, oh, nice. Which uh, is great. So uh, Wildermyth is really taking hold. I've noticed amongst the podcasts I listen to, it's also kind of like proliferate. It's like become a thing that everybody's covering simultaneously. And that's because, dear listener, it fucking owns. It's a, it's a great game and like makes good yeah. on all the shit I hoped it did. Uh, and then some. I'm so surprised that it like really lives up to everything I've heard about. Um, how much have you played since we talked about it last? So just on that point, I think it's actually interesting to, to pair this with Fable because I feel like it's like this is a game that is like <laughs> yeah. kind of tailor made. Like they're, they are they are sacrificing certain things to focus on this procedurally generated D&D campaign where like you're making decisions not in a good or bad way, but you're like just choosing paths basically. Mm. And what will happen as a result of that is just always exciting, even if it's a bad thing. And that's what I actually think is my favorite part of this game. Having played more is like, it's rewarding you even when you're losing because you're, you're there to see how things play out and not because yeah. like you want the strongest party. Um, I played, so it's worth noting there. I, th- I think 
currently there are like five like authored campaigns. And what that really means is like there's there's a guaranteed like backdrop of a plot that weirdly is like not like front row center, but like is there and there's usually one focused enemy. So you'll only have to worry about like like in the first campaign it's the Gorgons. Um the one I'm doing now is like this mechanical, like alchemical uh, uh monsters that are cool. like human remains kept alive with like mad scientist contraptions. Whoa. Yeah. Um really really creepy actually. And the story there they keep doing these flashbacks of like this old couple and the guy wants to live forever and you know obviously it's not a great idea. <laughs> So that's what you're getting there. And really, I think like the game encourages you to do at least the Gorgon campaign all the way through. So there are those campaigns and you can also just do like, okay, I want to play for three chapters. I want to play for five chapters. And each chapter kind of covers like, I would say like 20 years of a character's life. So in the Mm -hmm. beginning, they're usually in their like, uh, you know, early to mid 20s. And then they're, you know, in their 30s and 40s and then they're like older and and certain characters might retire or die or turn into a werewolf like mine did. Um, (laughs) uh, But yeah, I've played a lot more of it. I think I'm I think I have at least like 15 hours and now and like I'm sure by the end of the year that will be uh, much higher. Because uh, it, it's this, it's one of those games that's hard to put down. And I think the only reason I haven't played way more of it is because it's on my MacBook. If this is on Switch or like yeah. anywhere else, I think I would have dumped hundreds of hours into it already. But um, anyway, how are you liking it having played it now for the first time? I think before I get into that, it's worth touching on. Um, I, I did a little bit of research and just like checked out what the developer was uh, talking about online. And it seems like there's going to be a Switch version in like a year to a year. Oh, great. So like it'll yeah. come out on Switch and it'll be destructive, I think when that comes out because yeah. this this game on a platform like that is going to be so 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 good because i same uh situation as you like having this thing on my mac is the only reason i'm playing it less uh because i have to like literally sit down at this like recording setup that i use to record the podcast to be able to <laughs> play it uh, and that's been very helpful for me i think because uh, it really does have that like civilization one more turn kind of uh, like yeah, gameplay yeah. to it, which is interesting because it's completely different from like an actual like moment to moment gameplay perspective. There's really nothing actually like that that's happening. It's just you just want to see more. You just want to see more of what's happening. And I, I think the thing that really stands out to me about this game, you know, outside of the fact that, you know, it really is that idea of you are playing Dungeons and Dragons with like the best DM of all time. And it's just like a solo campaign uh, by yourself. What I was most surprised by was when I started the game, and and I think this is more for like people who haven't picked it up yet. I heard a lot of praise about like, oh yeah, it has incredible character building, world building, like it's all really fun, really good, like constantly presenting you with interesting choices. And because the characters mean so much to you, those choices matter a lot, um, even if they go south, like they're really interesting. And when I started the game, knowing all of this, having all this in the back of my head, uh, you know, you have to generate some characters before you start, um, and you can like name them whatever you want, and you can kind of like re-roll their their personalities and things like that um and i started the game and i was like i don't care about these people at all i don't know who they are really like i i'm like almost totally uninterested in them um you kind you started off in a really like wonderful way where one of your guys that you rolled looked exactly like shaggy from scooby-doo so like yeah i think there was yeah. already that like oh my god shaggy is in my dnd party yeah which i love um, <laughs> shaggy for, the wizard yeah, yeah yeah but for me it was just like blank slate like i don't know who these people are i don't know anything about them i'm like totally uninterested in them um i don't really know what the deal is and i think that's the magic trick of the game really is that when it starts off it's like you just generate some people no emotional attachment no interest at all 
And just through the course of play, you're going to fall madly in love with them. You're going to be obsessed with these people so quickly. Yeah. Because like the interstitials that happen between missions, uh, even like sometimes you'll be walking from one place to another on the map and like it'll just stop you halfway and you'll just have a little scene play out where it's just the relationship between the party and you just kind of like, you know, make one or two decisions that will influence how like one person feels about another person or like how a group of people feel about another group of people. Like it's just really, really nuanced in the way it kind of weaves in these conversations between the people. So you'll learn a lot about them via those instances and that will, you know, ground you and 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 make you emotionally invested in those people. And then there's the other end which is like through combat and through some of the more like specific uh kind of like engaging missions, you know, like you'll go and do a side quest uh where you'll like go get a thing for somebody else and the result of that might be like, you know, uh I I had one where my a guy like helped out a farmer who was like overseeing this kind of obelisk. And uh, if you helped out this farmer, they would let you like dip one of your limbs in the pool at the bottom of the obelisk uh, that got struck by lightning and like gave them a lightning limb, essentially, Uh, which was like really cool. It's like, oh, cool. I have a lightning arm now and I can like zap people from afar. Like this person who was once a melee warrior who I sent out. this, This is the crazy world building of this game. This is like the shocking thing about it is like, you know, I sent most of my party out to do one thing and I had one guy left over and I sent him out to go do the side quest by himself and he came back with a fucking lightning arm you know he's like a guy who like was like a melee only dude who can now zap people from afar and over the course of the campaign that lightning has started to spread across the rest of his body and he's like I don't know like when I'm completely enveloped in this there are like scenes where he's like I don't know if I'm gonna fucking die you know like because this lightning is starting to envelop all of me for now it's covered both my arms and both my legs and like it's a positive but like maybe it won't be once it reaches my brain you know and that's that's an interesting narrative thing that like may or may not be fruitful depending on like if he fucking dies or not in battle at some point or if i make a wrong decision uh you know any myriad number of reasons that could show up both you know i I think these authored campaigns are really wonderful in that they they include some i think random elements as well or like you can miss oh, they things. Do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like not everybody's, you know, Curse of the Gorgons campaign is going to end with one of your characters being completely enveloped by lightning, but it might. And uh, that's the experience yeah. I've been having. And that that is like the real shocking wonder of this game is that it is so seamless in the way it includes these things that seem like they should be part of a narrative arc. Like it feels like there is this larger thematic thing happening in this campaign, but including like a randomly generated thing in there tricks your brain into thinking that it fits in seamlessly even though it was just like picked from a hat yeah i mean something that the the kind of big moment for me in my first campaign was uh my character heli mud who is in my legacy now because she was the star of the campaign Mm -hmm. wife of shaggy she was like the hot-headed warrior type character and at one point like a gorgon grabbed her and like the party fought it off and then she had this like gorgon like stone over one of her eyes so like it just it like mellowed the character in a way where this character who was like so gung-ho about battle and like kicked so much ass had this like kind of permanent reminder about what they were up against yeah but that did give her some insight into what the gorgon 
Republicans were like scheming, which is kind of fun. Yeah. But, uh, and she like in her late sixties was still just swinging a great sword and like, and at, by the end <laughs> in the final battle, what I love is that I think you're right in that every decision gives narrative inspiration because even something as simple as a character dying, you're given the option of like how they go out. It's like, do they mm-hmm. focus on survival and go back to camp, but they might like lose a limb or like some kind of stat debuff for the rest of the campaign? Or do they go out swinging and like deal damage? And there's like text that accompanies that. So in the final battle, it was going really badly. Previously, Heli's rival had had like sacrificed herself to save her mm-hmm. uh, which is like you know a beautiful moment who also was a bird um, <laughs> but uh, in this final battle it was Heli her daughter and Shaggy uh, her husband so this family was fighting against all the Gorgons and like the other characters one by one they were just dropping like flies but all going out heroically mm-hmm. and then it came down to Shaggy who was like about to retire this master mage and it, it's like he thought about his daughter and how like his, his bittersweet emotions of her joining this campaign and signing up for this life that he once valued but is now seeing the end of and he's going to do anything possible to let her live a normal existence like that's how he went that's how shaggy went out and like his wife and daughter were the heroes of the land like that's beautiful (laughs) yeah and that was what i experienced and it's also like it's also you filling in the blanks a bit like you know you're you're given just enough flavor that like it's it's a little bit more than like you get in let's say fire emblem awakening but it's you know in terms of like you're getting Mm -hmm. characters and attached to them like uh you know in that you're getting the support scenes and you're getting the like you know fun of the characters and of the design but other than the leads it's really just like you're you're projecting onto them in some ways um so it's more than that but it's less than like three houses where you're getting like everyone's complete backstory and it's like a very authored thing but i think that sweet spot in the middle is what a good tabletop campaign is is and it what what ends up happening is when you're done with it it inspires your imagination to like want to recreate what you just experienced you know I, i had an immediate urge to like draw my characters and maybe even like you know, in the legacy, it actually lets you like it keeps track of the events and it lets you go back and rewrite them if you want to like actually tell your own story in your own words, which oh, like cool. The developers of this game just know what makes a tabletop game magical. Like games have been emulating D&D for, for decades and, and to varying degrees of success. This is maybe one of the few that really focuses on the role playing and the narrative beauty that you can only experience in tabletop. And it comes like frighteningly close. I also noticed that there is a, a multiplayer option for this game. And I would love to experience that because I, I just don't know what that would look like. Yeah. But I would love to do that together at one point. Yeah, I have no idea what that is. I, I, I had an unfortunate thing where uh, I, I won't get into it, but like I had to like wipe my computer recently. Uh, so I have lost the save file for my campaign uh, before I finished the first uh, the first like authored campaign. But I am actually excited to go in because I think my new plan now is to go in, create a new set of heroes and try a randomly generated campaign and see how that feels by comparison. Because just based on the way that the randomly generated stuff wove itself into the larger tapestry of the story in the author campaign i i think that altogether it might actually just be like a great experience by itself uh and i'm really interested yeah. to see and and compare those two experiences um and and see like is there more strength in the authored stuff or does this really stand on its own almost as like a roguelike D simulator uh which i'm like fascinated by the idea of. from what i can tell it really seems like the author the biggest difference is that you have the focus on one enemy that, that seems to be like mm-hmm. the key difference because everything else is going to happen in the randomly generated one it's just that you you get you get those like specific scenes with specific npcs but like all the stuff that happens like on your way 
or like the stuff where your arm became electric. Like that's all going to be in there regardless. Yes, exactly. So that's, that's, I, I think you're right. I think like, especially multiplayer, I think doing like, let's just do five chapters and see what happens. That would be really interesting. Yeah. But yeah, this is a, a, a unbelievable game. And I think it is really a lesson in like, you know, executing ambition well, where it's like, okay, like the, the art style is purposely simple. And like, you know, they, they eventually when you play it, you'll like, I've noticed a couple events pop up still, but it will always mean something different. You know, becoming mm-hmm. a werewolf isn't always the same thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, like it can have different. And again, it's the fun of it is putting your own spin on it. Like as a player. Yeah. I, I think my, my only bummer about this game is that it's not on more platforms. Cause I like would so desperately love to have it on switch right now, but that's like, yeah, like it's a small team and they're doing what they can. So like, you know, say la vie. I, I, I just want more people to play it. That's the only thing. It's like, I just want more yeah. people to be able to experience this. You and I are fortunate that we both have like the most recent, uh, iteration of Mac computers that are out and like run this game, like a, dream like it just works so well oh yeah but uh at some point it'll be on switch and maybe other platforms um and uh everyone will get to experience it it feels weirdly like the disco elysium of this year you know what i mean we're like yeah that's a good comparison yeah we're yeah. like you and i are able to play this because we have the the computer platform <laughs> that can play it but eventually it'll you know be like a full edition on on consoles and that'll be like oh it's gonna have a whole new a whole new audience whole new breath of fresh air in the community like it's gonna be really exciting but for now it's just it's on mac and we're having a great time with it i love it so much i will say too i really like the combat it's something that i keep forgetting to bring up because obviously the like noticeable strength is is everything else we already talked about but the combat is like a really good kind of streamlined version of DD combat but also very creative like the use it, it took me a campaign to kind of understand how to play some of the characters and also like how to build them because as they level up, they get more and more abilities. And like, mm-hmm. I never really knew what to choose or what was helpful. But um, like the mages by default have a move called interfuse where like you surround part of the scenery in the level with magical energy and different like elements of the scenery will do different things. Like if it's like a tree, you can explode the tree and it does like a blast damage of splinters in that area. You can like use fire and like set it somewhere else. Like it's, I love that the mages have to depend on what's around them to like draw magic from that. Mm-hmm. But you can also like, as you develop as a mage, like depending on what you choose, you can either like really focus on that or do other things. I've actually, in the beginning, I felt that the warriors were like easily the most useful unit, but I've actually found a lot of strength in now the mystics and also the rangers because silk step rules like being able to like scout the environment invisibly and then also i have a werewolf who's like 70 years old she will not retire she's amazing (laughs) uh and she uh uses silk step and has a dagger and like gets like incredible backstabs because i was playing a lot with the bow and i i actually realized that silk step with the with the melee weapon and being like kind of a rogue is really helpful so even though you like when you get a new character you can only choose from three classes there's actually way more variety depending on how you build them from that point on which is cool it's yeah it's really, really strong. I, I've been really surprised by how much character building they allow for. One thing in particular is like all the characters individually level up and every time they level up, just like a roguelike, you kind of you have like three choices or four choices sometimes of like different abilities or like passive or active buffs that you can add on to them. And that's that's what's going to give you your own spin on those characters. Like those choices you can also re-roll them. There's like a, a top level currency called legacy points that you can use to re-roll them. Like there's just so much uh leeway i think given to the player 
to make these characters whoever they really want. But there is still that random element of chance is going to force you to make decisions that will be like difficult. Yeah. And that that difficulty doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like I'm being confronted with a choice I don't want to make. It just feels like, oh, I have to make a tough decision right now. And then you roll with the punches. And of course, it's going to like pay off and be wonderful. Like that's that's always going to be the thing. Like I got I got a move for one of my melee characters that would let them uh, teleport to any other place on the map once per combat. That's like for a melee character is like a game changing, like super destructive yeah. power to get like completely fucks up the flow of combat in a way that I wasn't expecting and made them <laughs> dominant in a way that they weren't because I was so reliant on my ranger and my mages just taking out things from afar suddenly my melee character was like getting up in the shit and it was great it was like really really fun and cool and good and honestly the, i think one of my favorite things about the combat and this will lead into the next thing we wanted to talk about um is that it reminds me a lot of fire emblem it it has like big yeah. fire emblem energy yeah. uh in a lot of cases and that's what's I think so wonderful about it. Uh, that plus the D and D of it all. But anyway, there's uh, Wild Wildermyth is really good, and you should go play it. I'm glad that I'm again. I'm glad it lived up to everything that I was hoping it would be. Yeah, I'm so happy you got to play it. It's it's easily one of the best games of the year. I would be surprised if this is like a lot of different people's game of the year once yeah. the year wraps up. I think so because um, it's just it's hard to match. You know, it's really hard even even with their kind of more limited scope of like what they're trying to pull off here in terms of like okay, we're gonna not focus on the visuals. As much as everything else and and it still looks great like i like the look of the game but obviously like they they simplified things to focus on just the possibilities mm-hmm. it, it's it's really great and honestly i think i thought back to our awakening bonus with alana where we a lot of the questions were about like okay three houses was obviously like our favorite but then going back and playing older fire emblem games and like what what are the strengths there um and obviously like we had a lot of praise for awakening as well in its own way and then it's like okay with those two kind of experiences combined what does the future of that series look like yeah and at least from a narrative point of view i feel like i'd love to see the scale of wildermyth applied to fire emblem not necessarily in the choices but just in like the timeline of like i think the time skip in three houses is like a, a piece of what's going on yes. in wildermyth step and I would love one to see of like, like a multi-step yeah thing that will get it yes. closer to wildermyth totally because I, I, I think one of your yeah. one of your um uh one of your grievances not grievances but i, I can't think of a better word for it at the moment one, one of your uh critiques of wildermyth in our last episode a little bit was like oh I, I think some of the characters you know they kind of melt together a lot of the characters kind of have like a very like samey vibe to them which I think you and I both had the revelation over the course of the past week and whatever and just playing more is like the reason that is the case is almost exactly the same reason that I found the characters boring as like people originally which is that they start adding more and more and more to like the visual identity of those characters the further in you play right like Heli Mud for example yes. gets the Gorgon Eye um, um, you can tell as they start to age, they start to get the like Doctor Strange, um, uh, Reed Richards like uh, gray patches on the sides around their temples yeah. uh, as, as they start slowly going gray or losing their hair entirely or whatever. These characters do like actually change with the campaign uh, in meaningful ways, both like visually and emotionally. And you're going to be attached to them the whole way because of that. It's like brilliant i i think i think your your critique from last week still stands though that like they all have the same exact like pose where they're all like facing the same yeah, it was direction. mostly the pose yeah, yeah it, it wasn't necessarily the design as much as like they're all kind of leaning forward all the time yeah. uh, which is kind of funny but yeah i mean it, it it works and i think also the developers have said they're they're planning on adding a lot to the game that they're going to add a few more campaigns like yeah it, i imagine this will have a pretty active level of support just given that like you know it, i think you can even like uh share like a, a 
seed of a campaign with someone else like you'll have like that specific one like yeah i'm wondering i I meant to look it up and i didn't but i'm wondering if there's the ability for like fans to patch in their own stuff like is there mod support can people write their own campaigns yeah etc because like that feels like this game could go forever like you could just have wildermyth be like a platform uh for storytelling and like that by itself is a really interesting idea and I would love and, to see it. And the it. multiplayer might just be a way to play D&D without needing a DM at a certain point. You know, like that That's feels a great point. like, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder, I wonder how it functions, but maybe we'll play that and report back. But um, yeah, yeah, I would love to see like a Fire Emblem game have that and I, I, maybe some of them do in the older ones, but I would love to see like that kind of personal investment in just like a history of a place and like maybe seeing like really how it changes over time. That would be really cool. Yeah, um, absolutely. Speaking of Fire Emblem, I have gone back to Gareg Mock, baby. Uh, you've said repeatedly Three Houses Summer. Uh, I know it's like the the cusp of fall now, yeah. uh, but it is very much back to school season, so it's still appropriate. Yeah, it still works. I feel like Three Houses Summer got a little bit co-opted by Brain Punk Summer. Uh, you know, it was outside of our control. <laughs> uh, so may- maybe yeah. maybe back to school season is is really where a uh, fire emblem is more appropriate i mean the thing about that game you know i'm not going to talk too much more about three houses because like i feel like it's <laughs> it's like heli mud's gorgonai it's like actually part of us at this point mm-hmm. like i feel like uh that game is like a friend of ours at this point in time <laughs> and like uh, the the time we put into it and and i think uh really i mean i remember I, I'm pretty sure we started the Discord like around the same time that that game came out, or at the very least, I remember that game being like the uniting force of the Discord. Where, like everyone, like for a while, everyone's name had like their house, yeah. like after their name. You know, it means a lot to me. And uh, you know, I I had played all three houses within the same year, and I really like felt like sated by that even when you were getting back into it, i was still like i'm still kind of hungover like i need more time <laughs> before i jump back yeah you're like the second run is so cool i'm like dude i've i've been there man i'm like still reeling but uh i've wanted to play again because i've also had a number of friends who picked it up more recently and just like when i when i recommend this game to people like to, for the record i don't think it's like a for everyone game but if it is for you it's gonna fuck up your life in a good way um <laughs> And the friends I recommended to my track record of it becoming like a huge part of their life is 100%. I have yet to miss. Uh, so <laughs> not that it's about me, but you know, it is, it is like, I really, really, really try to make whenever I recommend something, I don't want just to be because I like it. I want to really think about who I'm recommending it to and if it meshes with their vibe and if I think they will love it. Uh, so I'm always happy when I'm right. Um, but <laughs> I'm back. I wanted to go back and play again. I wanted to stream again. So I decided that I wanted to stream my attempt at a maddening run. I tried to do so for the for context of the game. There are three difficulties. There's normal, hard and maddening. I would say, I mean, it depends on your experience level. Like Fire Emblem is is historically obtuse. One of the things we talked about a lot when the game first came out was like how noticeably more accessible it was. Like they're still throwing a lot of information at you, but the difficulty of the actual combat is like pretty easy yeah especially on normal like you don't really need to know i don't mean this in itself but you don't really need to know what you're doing to progress in that game you can just sort of enjoy it and and you know i think we we said that like that game is responding to your choices beginning at choosing the difficulty so like whatever experience you want to have that game's strength is very much in the characters and in the monastery part of it so like you know you're not missing out 
depending on what you choose. Choose whatever works best for you. But if you're like me, a glutton for punishment, uh, you started the game playing hard, which I would say even for Fire Emblem standards is still pretty normal like i would consider if you at least like me i went into three houses having already played awakening and conquest on hard which is like maddening-esque and i found hard to be like pretty normal until the end so like it's actually a pretty good balance i would say if like you want a, a challenge but you don't want it to be like in the way of you progressing i think hard is is a good choice maddening on the other hand is is ridiculous i tried to do maddening uh like a year ago i might have even brought it up on the show with the blue lions and um the opening scrimmage battle that's supposed to be like a fun intro to the mechanics <laughs> took me like three or four hours yeah and uh i eventually just sort of didn't feel the need to keep going but for whatever reason this back to school season i really wanted to give it a go so i started streaming my attempt at doing maddening with the golden deer this time and i've been loving it i i don't get me wrong it's excruciatingly difficult I don't blame anyone for not enjoying it, but I have played that game enough and love it enough to want to experience this. Right. And what I will say about Maddening is I feel like the downside of the lower difficulties is that like it's good that they're more accessible, but it does kind of waste all the systems that they have in place. Like you don't really need to worry about battalions or like all this stuff. Maddening really makes you think about the map. It makes you think about enemy placement and like what you're using at every turn. I was going to say preparation is like really almost the key to winning maddening in a way that I never would have thought that it was right is like making sure you have the right items yeah. equipped, like making sure you have like gone through and like you know everybody has to have like the best uh, weapon that you can give them at the time um, you really need to prep in like a very real way like pre- the prep phase uh, of a maddening run is like completely absent from most other runs of that game like I never once yeah. thought about what items I had when I played through three houses any of the times I've done it I, yeah I have a note in my phone this time of like everyone's class flow that I want them to go through and like I never did that I was like oh cool monk looks yeah so I've been doing that I've been streaming it. I, I ideally I'd love to stream the whole game They'll probably take a while because, again, every battle is like at least two hours of effort. Um, But the first one is up on YouTube. Uh, It's me doing the house scrimmage. It was a lot of fun. It was it it felt weirdly like the closest thing I would ever experience, like getting into sports (laughs) (laughs) where it's like the whole chat was like, you know, even at one point, uh, satirically, they were talking like sports announcers like, oh, Leone is giving her all out there. Very silly. But I, I think that that battle was so fun because I think one of the things we talked a lot of that in the awakening bonus was like how the strength of that game really is the strategy of it and like the map design like really thinking about that and maddening actually makes you do that more which i'm enjoying that angle of it Mm. but you know i think i also have enjoyed giving myself like self-imposed challenges on games that i've like played before it's a weird part of me i didn't really know existed until now yeah um like between this and the nuzlocke it's kind of a similar energy but um yeah I've, i've been enjoying that i i don't know if i'd recommend it like outright but i do think if you're a fire emblem fan and you want to see like you want to see the game like i I don't know i think i think the most interesting i think you know if you're gonna if you're a maddening person i think i think (laughs) like you already know if you're the kind of person you should check it out i don't think you need to like try and recommend it to anybody i think that the people who will ever do a maddening run of three houses already know you know i I am not that person i love that game game of the year I love Three Houses. I think it's great. I played through it more than once. I think it's wonderful. I am never, ever going to attempt a maddening run. It is the antithesis of what I like about that game. It is like, li- like Stephen, it is the exact opposite of what I think is good about Three Houses. But I love that it's there for the people who want it. 
And I've heard from enough people who have done maddening runs and I've read enough from people who've done maddening runs that like there's a really cool game there. There's a really interesting, very nuanced like fascinating experience to be found in a maddening run uh and, and that that rips that like that option is available i, I had multiple texts and friends being like i will never do this this doesn't look fun <laughs> you know and i hope it's fun to watch because it is fun to watch i'm having a great um, time knowing that i don't have to be the one experiencing it <laughs> Because again, I'm seeing more of what makes this game good mechanically, right? There are all these really yeah, interesting right. systems that you can kind of dip in and out of throughout the kinds of runs that I've played in the past, but all of them coalesce to make one whole experience maddening because you need to be thinking about all of it. You need to be playing chess with Fire Emblem, whereas like that's very much not really part of the game if you're not playing a maddening run. And I think that's that's really yeah. cool. It's cool to see all of those things coalesce into one like whole experience. Yeah. And I, I'm just excited. I think it will, especially like when the drama ramps up, I feel like it will be very high stakes, just like fun yeah. experience. Totally. But yeah, I've been doing that. If you want to watch, it's on our YouTube. And I also, I've been streaming it. I, you can see it live on Twitch, obviously. I don't really have a defined schedule yet. I feel like if I really want to do the whole thing, it's going to be one of those marathon, not a sprint things. So like, mm. Maybe yeah. eventually I'll have like a dedicated day or so for it, like maybe like an every other week thing. But for now, I'm very excited about it. So I'm streaming it a lot. I've already done two streams. And I think at the time of this recording, I will have done another tomorrow. Cool. Um, I have a note on my phone. I already said that. I'm very excited to do it. So I'll let you know how it goes. I may emerge from this experience like time skip Dimitri. <laughs> Shout out to our friend Alana who who inspired me to try because like she just very casually on our uh, awakening episodes yeah i've done a maddening run blah blah, blah. i'm like whole that feels like impossible to yeah. me at this point in time that could have been the whole and it's episode. actually nice <laughs> right it's nice to know that it's within my power but you know no matter what you do no matter you finally settle on a plan i know there's someone watching who's going to be like um ignat should have learned axe it's like ah i know there's always the lingering doubt either if it's a real voice or in my head that's mm -hmm. the hardest part really yeah. is the doubt but you got to <laughs> believe in yourself totally um, yeah. So that's that's available on uh, our Twitch, twitch.tv slash into the cast live. Uh, turn on notifications if you want. Um, and also on YouTube, uh, which you can find at into the cast online. Also, probably worth mentioning that if you join the discord, there are uh, reaction roles. So you can like get notified when we're planning stuff, when stuff goes live anyway. Um, but yeah, it's it's cool. Maddening even maddening, man. Uh, do you have any uh, streams or video stuff that's upcoming for you? Do you want to talk about? Uh, ooh. Uh, yeah, so I have been uh, considering bringing back uh, maybe daily, maybe not uh, Spelunky 2 experiences. I don't know if there'll be streams or pre-recorded videos. I tried to pre-record one the other day that was like an absolute disaster in every way possible. It was like I just died in the worst, not even fun way over. Like, I think I think part <laughs> of. Part of what's great about Spelunky and Spelunky 2 is that when you die, there's generally like a comedy to it because it's like always so silly. It's just like the run ends immediately and you just watch yourself like bleed out on the floor of whatever level you made it to. And the ways in which I died while recording that were like so not fun that I was like, I, I can't release this. This is not a good way to bring this back. <laughs> Um, so I, I did not I did not release it. I also was like, I've been doing this for an hour and I've died constantly and like that. It's just brutal. Like I would like to get at least like kind of far on my return stream on my return video. And I remember 
like hitting stop recording and looking at it. And I had only been playing for like 20 minutes. I had died like 12 times. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we'll see if that comes back. I would like it to. I, I want to make more videos in general. Um, I have I have more time than I used to. It's been a busy summer. So uh, I, yeah. I, I kind of like as I'm hunkering down for like fall and winter and stuff like there's definitely going to be more video content coming from me. One of the things I really want to do, honestly, is bring back the uh, photo mode video. I did one for Mass Effect 2. Yes. Uh, Legendary Edition. And there's a photo mode that you unlock like halfway through Psychonauts 2 that I'm like dying to make a video about. So um, stay tuned for that because uh, that that seems like an inevitability on, on my end because I, I love the photo mode in that game. It's it's not like great, but it's silly in the way that Psychonauts like should be. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. But um, yeah, just stay tuned. There'll be something. It'll it, maybe it'll be Splunky 2. Maybe it'll be Wildermyth. Who knows? Uh, it'll, it'll be something. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, more video stuff. On YouTube and Twitch. Uh, our bonus this month is going to be the Forgotten City, which we're both excited about. I'm going to eventually, uh, in anticipation for that episode, uh, play the original mod as well. But what led to that conversation was I was talking about that, and then we just started talking about Skyrim with Adam. Oh, yeah. uh, and I've just been like playing Skyrim again as well. <laughs> Whoops. That's great. Um, but uh, we're doing that. Um, uh, our Patreon episode has yet to be decided upon, but there'll be another one this month, and you'll you'll get the last months in the near future, if not already when this comes out. But yeah, that, that's all the plans currently. Anything else? No, I think that's it. That's it. What else do you want? Um, hey, thank you so much for listening. Into the Cast.online is our hub for all the links. You know the drill. Special shout out and thank you to our patrons. Really appreciate your support. Uh, you backing the show allows us to make bonuses that are available for everyone. And you also get your patron exclusive bonus episode that comes out uh, every month. We're a little bit backed up right now. So some things are coming out later than expected, but we should be back on schedule uh, from this month on. But, you know, we appreciate all your patience and support. And whenever we have to, like, either take a break or things take longer, it really means a lot that people like understand that. So thank you just for for being patient with us. Yeah. Cult cultivating a community and like just having a community that's like, oh, yeah, we get that you're people and you can take time off if you need to. It's very nice. It's a very nice place to be. So thank you all so much for being so cool about it. Yeah. yeah. As I said, this summer has been really busy. It's been like a wild thing. Uh, been a lot of like weird scheduling stuff. So it's been hard to hard to keep things like as buttoned up as usual. Um, but yeah, should be returning to that soon, which will be good. Cool. Yeah. Hey, just want to uh, say shout out to everybody who has written a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. I almost said iTunes on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to everybody who's done that. If you haven't done that and you go thank do that, you. thank you in advance for doing that. The link to that is also on Into the Casa Online, which is just a great website if you're into links to other places that are branded with our logo on it. Um, <laughs> oh. So uh, all of that said, thanks again to Adam for joining us. Go check out Eye of the Duck. It's a really incredible podcast. I It's great. Yeah, It's like actually my weekly rotate. I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts, to be completely frank. And uh, that one is in my weekly rotation specifically because I really like watching whatever they're talking about. Uh, it's gotten me back into yeah. watching movies, which I've been so thankful for. Me too. Yeah. So uh, go check that out. And uh, that said, my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me all over the Internet at Brendan Bigley. <laughs> I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me on one uh, down <laughs> angel fire site. You can find my Zanga cool dude cooking yeah. dot Zanga <laughs> uh, You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Goodbye, everyone.